This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program three hours a day to help you get through life, you know? Nobody gave you an owner's manual, so today we're going to give you a few uh, a few chapters in how to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program, friends! Oh, I've missed you. And we've got so much to talk about. Uh, throughout the show today, we will be talking about Ben running. Um, we will also get into... Um, he's mad. We'll also get into payday loans. You see these payday loan businesses... Uh, you know, all over the city now. And uh, are they helping or are they hurting when uh, when you could have an annual loan at about 400% interest? Is that helping our communities or hurting it, um, especially when they seem to or many believe are, they are targeting just lower economic and lower income families? We'll be talking about it with the BYU professor, Dr. Rick Evans. will be here to uh, enlighten us on payday loan businesses and organizations. But first, before we do anything else, we must get to the news with Katie Jarvis. Katie, welcome and uh, hit it. What what do we need to know around the country? There are several states having primaries today. Maryland, Delaware, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island are going to the polls today for both Republican and Democratic parties. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are the candidates that are expected to sweep the contest. Ted Cruz is reportedly considering Carly Fiorina for vice president. A spokesman for the Cruz campaign says they are considering the former opponent as a potential for vice president, but no official decision has been made yet. The arena has been a fixture on the Cruz campaign trail for months, appearing alongside him soon after she dropped out of the presidential contest herself. And millennials are now the biggest U.S. generation. According to numbers from the new Census Bureau, Millennials have surpassed even baby boomers at this point as the biggest living generation in the United States. There are 75.4 million millennials in the U.S. compared to the 74.9 million baby boomers. Immigration is contributing to the shift in numbers as well as the baby boomers aging. A new TSA record for the number of guns found in carry-ons was reached this week. During the week of April 15th through the 21st, the federal agency found 73 guns in carry-on bags at airports nationwide. This broke the previous weekly record of 68 set in October. Of the 73 found this last week, 68 were loaded and 27 had a round in the chamber. TSA rules say that guns can be brought on flights, but they have to be declared in checked luggage only, unloaded, and secured in a locked container. The TSA notes that even if passenger a passenger has no ill intent on packing the gun in the carry-on, he or she can receive a citation, be arrested, or pay a fine up to $11,000. And for the first time, the U.S. is going to start dropping cyber bombs. Earlier this month, the U.S. Defense Secretary confirmed that the U.S. government will put Cyber Command in warfare status against ISIS. Cyber Command will head a campaign aimed at hacking electronic systems to break down ISIS operations. ISIS is known to have a prominent online presence. The organization is surprised Surprisingly efficient at using social media to recruit potential militants. Previously, Cyber Command has only used its efforts in a defensive manner to protect from companies or from states originating 
from threats originating from other countries like North Korea, Russia, China, and Iran. And that's an update for today. Katie killed it. Hey, Katie, don't carry a gun onto an airplane when you go to London. I don't know. That might be hard. I might just forget. I mean, I know... I know you're packing, but you got to watch out for it. You might have a round in the chamber and everything. What is the deal? Do people not like read the news? You can't carry on a gun. People should know this. I know it, it. Yeah, I know it's not that surprising. Just watch out. I'm just letting you know, Katie. Thanks. You're, you're leaving. Leave your gun at home. Plus, you're going to London. <laughs> They won't like guns there. Katie Jarvis, thank you so much. Um, we've got to get to the headlines. Holy cow. By the way, Fiorina, Cruz, does Cruz not know that he's losing to Trump? Because Trump is winning. But Cruz is already deciding his vice president might be Carly Fiorina. What is that about? Okay, because if we're choosing vice presidents, I'm choosing mine right now. I'm going to go. By the way, Carly would be a great vice president. She's a thinker. She's, she's sassy. She knows how to take on the journalists, correct them. My vice presidential candidate uh, to run with me would be um, – I want someone smarter, faster, stronger. The bionic woman. That's from my day. She need, Carly Lindsay needs, Wagner. If she does become a vice president – she need, or at least a candidate. She needs to change her talking point about her experience at Hewlett Packard. Yeah, she didn't have a successful tenure as their CEO. Yeah, but but so, she turned them around and then into bailed. the ground. Well, <laughs> she's like rode the, well, rode I, the I train right into saying, the wall. It was already riding. It was already being thrown into the ground. She just rode that ride down there. I know who my vice president would be. Kelly Ripa. Boom, Kelly. Gwyneth Ripa. Gwyneth? Don't know. Okay. When I don't know their middle name, I make it up. Yeah. Did you see that the big executives at ABC had to apologize personally? One of them actually flew out and will supervise their show today or will observe or be on hand. And I think that's so she can uh, – So she can get mad at them and say, what are you doing? Personally reassure Kelly Ripa that she is part of the ABC family. You are this and important to us. They didn't mean to completely disrespect her twice. Twice. <clears throat> so, yeah, <laughs> because she's that important to us that we love you. We apologize. Two presidents had to apologize to her from ABC. Yeah, like the president of the news and the president of TV group or whatever. We are so sorry, Kelly. That well, they all made the decision not to tell her uh-huh. what they were doing. It's like, well, she won't be able to handle it. Yeah. She already handled Regis leaving and found out about that 15 minutes before. And now Strahan's leaving and she finds out about that after, I guess. What? Yeah. Oh, brother. Well, yeah. So Kelly's going to be my vice presidential candidate. Uh, I saw over the weekend that John Kasich was vetting vice presidents. Now, again, it seems a little early. Yeah, a little bit. Like, it seems like this is something – I mean, I know his people probably need to vet vice presidential candidates, but I don't know that Cruz and Trump need to. They are – they're still realizing that if they even work together, they still probably can't beat Trump. We'll see because that's the big test today. Can they beat Trump over the next few weeks actually, I guess, because they're going to be splitting their their allegiances. Uh, I guess uh, Trump or Cruz is going to be going after um, – 
Indiana. Kasich will be going out uh, after New Mexico and Oregon. Interesting thing, by the way, I did decide Hillary Clinton, who she should choose as vice president. Who's that? Kasich. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It'll never happen, but no. I think if it might not be a really a bad idea to unify this country. Did you hear Kasich's new nickname? What? Via Donald Trump? Oh no! What? Because he's big on nicknames. Oh, Donald loves a good nickname. He shares those names. You have Lion Ted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Little Marco. Those are some yeah, of the yeah. the ones that he got to before people dropped out. Well, he he's uh, started using one for thirty eight Kasich. One for thirty. <laughs> That's a long nickname. It is, but it, it's 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 quite demeaning for one, him. One one for thirty eight. One for thirty. Ohio. He he won the state of Ohio. Nailed it. And lost thirty seven other. One for thirty eight. So, there you go. One for thirty eight. Casey. Oh, uh, see, that's what's so hard about this because, you know, is it is it how many you win? Yeah, it really is. Or is it? <laughs> it really is how many you or win. Or is it how hard you try? I think it's about how hard you try. Did you hear about Aaron Andrews settled her lawsuit? Yeah, that's good. Now the question is, will she actually see any of the money? Since they are, I always question when they when they sue someone for millions of dollars, and you know they don't have millions yeah. of dollars. Now right. she settled with the hotel. That was it. She that was where she was smart because the hotel has the money. The other half of the lawsuit is with the guy who actually committed the crime, and there's yeah. no way she's getting any money out of him because he doesn't have any. And they're and they're going to try. Remember, this is the whole story of uh, she's an ESP. Wasn't is she still an ESPN? She, she was at ESPN and then left to go to Fox. Uh, was staying in a hotel room. A man put a crazy camera lens on her door and basically took pictures of her in various stages of dress. Yes, and then published them. I guess and threw them up on the web. So fifty-five million dollar lawsuit. As far as the settlement, um, it's not known what the final settlement was, but. I think it was this West End par- Hotel Partners um, and the Windsor Capital Group decided that, you know what, we probably ought to just pay her and get out of here. Just let it go. Yeah. Part of that is because she was making a claim. The attorneys were making a claim basically saying that because Barrett, this guy that did all of this, the stalker, won't be able to pay anything. We want it all to go against the hotel. The hotel. Which I don't know if they would do that. I know. But it was interesting in the course of the uh, the case, the hotel group, the Lawyers representing them tried to make the case that she had actually benefited from all this. So, oh my word, they shouldn't be held liable. Because look, she has this nice job over at Fox. She does Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. So her her career is has has she's gotten more exposure literally out <laughs> of this case. And so we shouldn't be held accountable for what was done. I, I you know what? And the judge went. Uh, no. Let's well, let's just test it. Let's just take a, uh, pictures of those attorneys. Yeah. In. You know, various stages of undress and post those on the web and see if their careers just explode. If their careers explode, then they're on to something. Not to mention the, you know, the the, the kind of the public horror of (laughs) you have a public job, but you know that, you know, there's this video. Well, and I think women in sports anyway are already fighting this uphill battle to not just be based in your beauty and looked at it for your beauty. I mean, I have the same thing here. Right. Where it's you're constantly, it's just about looks. your looks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, hey, everybody, I've got a brain, too. That's accurate right there. Crickets. But really, for her, the last thing she needed was something that would highlight her looks more. Yeah. 
I mean, as far as trying to maintain street cred. Absolutely. Speaking of street cred. Uh-oh. Um, this never goes in the way you think it will. <laughs> no, it always goes the way I think it'll go. <laughs> Just you don't know where it's going. So I'm I'm on my uh, daily um, walk okay. slash meditation moment. Your saunter? My saunter. And I'm trying to just get away. It's slowly turning into a shuffle. Yeah, it's a shuffle. It's more like a leg drag. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm Go just ahead. dragging one leg. Is this around campus? Is this it's around campus? Okay, okay. I'm kind of wrapping it up. Well, no, I'm halfway to you know Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Halfway to Nirvana. I listen to podcasts. That's how I stay up on some things. And I'm in the field house, which is a big track in, in here on BYU campus, and I'm I go take two laps there, and that's pretty much halfway, and then I come home, come back to take my nap hmm. at under my desk, under your desk, yes. And as I'm walking, I just hear this heavy breathing. <sighs> Whoa! <sighs> is it you? <sighs> and I look back, and there he is. Benjamin, really, Jeremy Wasden, just chasing you down, chasing me down. Wow! And at first, I just all all my brain said is run, yeah, run, get away from fight this man. or flight. Take your pick. You were telling me you peed yourself a little bit, right? Wow, man, <laughs> I did not say that. Well, you did it again, Ben. You did it again. It's just a minefield. Yep. So you'll take care of the attorneys on that one. I'll. Yeah. I guess I'll. I'll head off. Yeah. HR. And... Okay. Um, you know what? I found out though. Ben is a very healthy guy. Apparently. Ben runs. Ben's muscly. Other than the huffing and puffing behind. Well, him. yeah, that was weird. Yeah. But I, and what was funny is he was just walking. Hmm. But he breathes like so that. minimal exertion, and he was basically dead. But you know what he does? And then I ran around the corner, and he was just passed out on the floor. Hmm. Yeah. And then I'm like Ben, and he pretended like he was doing push-ups. But he was just breathing and wow. passed out on the floor. Hmm. And then I just kept – I just walked. I could only do it once because I did not want to see This him is again. why you shouldn't interact with people from the office in public. I, tr- I know. Why do you think I leave? It's like people don't know what to do when they see you outside of this environment. Once it, you're out in the world, yeah. it's like, hey, Matt, what's – you know? Yeah. Me, I would avoid you. I know. Exactly. Go to the other side yeah, of well, a street We've or, done that. Do you remember when we saw each other at the store and we didn't yeah. talk? Just kind of – I went to frozen food. He went to produce. <laughs> produce. Just called it good. Um, yesterday too, I went out and just sat with the producers for a bit. Yeah, I saw that. I left because last time I did that, I got a memo about being too loud in yeah. the office. Yeah. I was supposed to talk in the office apparently. Yeah, it's pretty tense out there. Yeah. So I, I, I went, yeah, you know, Matt can get away with this because he's the talent. He's the talent. <laughs> I'm just going to bail. So I, I took off, got some work done. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I felt like I need to talk to my people more. Well, you got to be one with the people. You have to come down. They come to my office, hmm. but then it always turns into a counseling session. Well, yesterday Hillary Clinton said that Donald Trump needs to do more than just fly by in his private jet, <laughs> give a little speech, and then fly back out of this. He has to get down and talk to the people. Yeah. Same with you. You need to talk to the people. That's so true. I got to come out of my Trump Tower to the people. That's what I've got to do. Oh, boy. So much to do. And I've got to go. Now I've got to go to HR again. Uh, I'm just quoting what you said, Matt. Yeah. Did not say that. And I would never have said it on air. Oh. Oh, well, Ben. It has been nice knowing you. We, um, we're going to take a break. Uh, we told you earlier on we're going to be talking about payday loans. 
You know, if you ever just needed a hundred bucks to make rent, right, or to feed your family, um, payday loan. These these establishments are there to basically give you a paycheck advancement, right? A couple weeks, a hundred bucks on for a couple weeks, not a big deal, right? Unless it turns into you carrying these debts over month by month, and all of a sudden you're paying four hundred percent a year. We'll be talking with Dr. Rick Evans, professor of economics here at Brigham Young University. Is it, uh, is it helping or hurting? Payday loans. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, any drive through town, it's guaranteed you're going to cross paths with at least, you know, one or two or three payday loan kind of uh, businesses, title loan businesses, establishments that dot the city maps across the country. These uh, companies advertise paycheck advancements that are convenient, quick, without any sort of credit uh, review. These advancements are typically loans in the range of about $100 to $400 range with a repayment agreement due when the borrower has scheduled the, uh, has a scheduled payment such as a paycheck. But what are the risks associated with these um, organizations? What are the financial dangers? You know, nearly 12 million users are, uh, are using these, these locations to uh, just make ends meet in their lives. Joining us now is Dr. Rick Evans, professor of economics at Brigham Young University, who has uh, done some extensive research on this in the past. And he's here to just help us understand friend or foe when it comes to these payday loans. Rick, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot for having me, Matt. It's a, uh, you know... I think we just automatically think they're out to just get you. They have a really bad rap. They do. And you've you've studied them. And this was a few years ago. But you went, just like in the state of Utah, you, I guess, reached out to all of them trying to do some research. And how, what percentage of them uh, sent back the information you asked for? About 50%. So I think that's a really good response rate for a survey. Yeah. And they gave me some – Sensitive information. They gave me the the average interest rate on every loan that each store put out. They gave me the average amount of the, the loans. They gave me the default rate wow. and and then the total principal lent for those loans. So one thing that I found that I don't think anyone had is that this is a $280 million industry in the state of Utah. And that's really small. That's tiny. Yeah. I mean, when you look at revolving credit and non-revolving credit, that's like $6 billion and $10 billion respectively. Yeah. So this is a small market. So, so talk to me um, about are they friend or foe? I mean, in your research, what, what do you see? And I guess first teach us what is a payday loan? How does it work? Is it more fee-based? I mean, it's really fee-based, but you use that fee to calculate what's the interest rate on this. So if I borrow $100, I'm going to pay a fee of – I'm going to pay that $100 back after two weeks or a month depending on my paycheck and uh, I'll pay a fee of $15 on average. Okay. Now, $15 for $100, that sounds like for a small amount of time and a small loan, not a crazy amount. That adds up to – a 400% interest, right? It's a 15% interest rate on two weeks or a month. You, you right. spread that over a year, that, that adds up to a 
400% interest rate. But something they say in this industry is that's like quoting a hotel room price at an annual rate. Yeah. And it's a little bit misleading. Right. But on the other hand, it is a fee for a loan that's pretty expensive. Is it – It's and they're usually short-term loans. Do you know what percentage of people actually complete – I mean, pay off their loan within those two weeks or how many are really carrying the... So I, I don't remember this number, but I do remember there there is rollover on these loans. There are limits as to how long that they can roll over the loans. So if I don't pay it back after a month, I think it can be rolled over a certain number of times. Uh, but there are limits on that. And then one thing I also found is in this industry, there's a pretty high default rate. Oh, really? So a lot yeah. of people don't pay them back. So it's actually a very expensive loan for these payday lenders to make. It's a risky loan. Yeah. So one, one reason we find that the interest rates are so high is because it's a risky market to be in. It's, it's like a junk bond. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's apparently uh, valuable enough to keep building these, these check places all over. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, we even had a guest recently that said they're now moving more to – Suburbs and places – they used to be kind of inner city things, but now they're moving everywhere as more and more people are struggling, you know, making it paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and I think the big ones are, are going more to an online presence as well. There are way to, ways to do this online. Make it easy. But really this is – it's also serving a need for a community. I guess one of the things – that they're, they're always kind of termed predator – uh, they're predators because they seem to be supposedly chasing minorities and lower income people. Is that is that accurate, or are they just serving the need? I mean, that was, need that was one of the main things I was looking at. In, in the study that I did, uh, we looked at what are the things that determine where they locate, and what are the things that determine how high an interest rate they have. And, and we looked at location. We did find that they locate in zip codes where they have, on average, more non-married households, uh, more pawn shops. They look, yeah. There's some complementarity there between right. payday lenders and pawn shops. But income was interesting. We found that they locate more toward middle income, like $50,000 a yeah, year. Yeah, interesting. Income. So less on the poorer side of that and also less on the richer side of that. Right in that middle – I guess where we are struggling, the middle, the middle income. Yeah, I think that would be a good way to say it. And, um, but it's the thing, the interesting thing there is it wasn't poor people. And I, I anecdotally, as I would talk to these different uh, payday lenders as I'm gathering this data, anecdotally, that's what they kind of said. And also, they locate in areas that have more restaurants, which suggests that they want to be in areas that are more commercial. Hmm. Uh, with regard to interest rates, I found that they actually – so what are the things that are correlated with higher interest rates across the straight state of Utah? Um, higher interest rates, when there are fewer other lenders in the area, they have higher interest rates. So competition yeah. actually pushes these prices down. Uh, not surprisingly, the higher default rates there are, right. the higher interest rates you have. Um, also found that interest rates are higher in areas that have – fewer black people. So race is all often... So it's not about the race. I, I, there's no evidence For the of interest that. rate. There's no evidence of that for the interest rate. Yeah. That's interesting. So because one of the big things that's been happening is uh, government, state government, city governments are starting to ban locations where these, can, where these organizations can go. 
even trying to do whatever they can to keep them out because they've always been seen as predators. Yeah, a lot of states have interest rate caps that you can't have annual interest rates above like thirty two percent or something. And that that kills payday lenders. Well, yeah, that, that takes that's yeah. Then then that's not even going to be there for the people. So I guess if it's they are serving a purpose, uh, helping people float their lives financially for one more week or two more weeks. But they are they're being compensated for it. But you're saying not more than the market would demand. Yeah, in fact, I I mean this is not information that I could publish, and they. Uh, but I did for one of the companies see their uh, annual profits over a ten year period, and. And so I actually can't verify how, how valid these numbers were, but they, they were showing me – in trying to educate me about the industry, they were saying, look, our profits aren't even – they're in line with the standard S&P 500 company. Hmm. And yeah, you'd it, think they'd just be raking it in. Yeah, and they're not. I mean what I did find is it's an expensive loan to make. They don't have the same recourse as banks do. Banks actually have a little collateral on you and me, right? We We have our – our uh, our paychecks get deposited there, and we get a lot of services from the bank. So if we right. overdraw our account, um, if I if I never put money back in the bank, they they have ways to to get that money back. Um, payday lenders have to go to small claims court. And this oh. is actually one of the arguments against payday lenders that they're predatory. That in small claims court, uh, they end up exacting a bunch of fees out of the borrowers that default. And this is something I, I haven't looked into as, as closely. I know this is one of the arguments against them. But um, if that were the case, if that were the only thing that made them predatory, it seemed like seems like then the answer is to reform the the default process yeah, and how you pay get... their lenders the same options that banks have. Why don't um... – why don't banks do payday loans? Oh, that's a really interesting one. They've tried and failed and I think it's because it's a very small niche market that's hard to collect on. It's yeah. a very high risk and it, banks have found it not profitable. And I think – this is something I haven't looked at since 2011. But in 2011, banks' main profit centers were on these fees hmm. that you and I get if if we overdraw our accounts. Yeah. Or if, and those fees end up being um, – those little fees end up being really profitable for banks. They had a very hard time trying to offer things similar to payday lenders. Yeah. And uh, that's interesting. Like, what's the alternative? Should should government offer lower interest rate loans for poor people if we don't like what payday lenders are doing? Well, that that's the that's almost seems like what they're trying to do is by legislating the percentages. Then you're saying the government's going to tell you how to how to loan your money out. Yeah. So when but you're going to not be profitable, so you'll go out of business. Yeah. When the when the percentages get legislated like that, the industry just goes away. Yeah. And and there's. I did look at the literature on this. A lot of authors had done experiments looking at states in which they capped the interest rate and payday lenders went away and they looked at different measures of welfare and there was kind of mixed reviews. In some states, I think North Carolina, they saw that um, there were some worse outcomes from hmm. uh, individuals in those brackets that typically used payday loans and in some other studies, they found some better outcomes. So I, I don't know if the evidence yeah. is clear there yet either. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break, come back, continue the discussion with Dr. Richard Evans from uh, Brigham Young University. He's a professor of economics here and we're walking through payday loans and um, friend or foe, folks. Are they 
helping. I mean, the, if you need a hundred bucks to be able to pay your rent, and you're not going to have a check for a couple weeks, it seems like a great answer, right? Fifteen dollar fee to borrow a hundred bucks, but maybe it's more of uh, of, of just. Other problems that are going on, other things we need to be looking at, like uh, do we do any of us even have a clue uh, financially how to run our own books? And um, maybe it's we need a little more education to uh, not get caught in the trap of a payday loan. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to give you the tools, the solutions to live longer and uh, have a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, we're talking about um, payday loans. You know, you see these little paycheck companies all over uh, where you can go run in, borrow a couple hundred bucks, and you'll get your paycheck and pay it off in a couple of weeks. They are definitely filling a need uh, for people that are living paycheck to paycheck, but also just, you know, those that need a little bit more help and um, maybe are struggling sometimes even in seeing the whole picture of their finances. You know how it, it is when all of a sudden you get that quarterly bill you weren't expecting or that uh, twice a year bill and all of a sudden you need to come up with a couple hundred bucks. Joining us is Dr. Richard Evans. Richard is a professor here at Brigham Young University of Economics. He has studied uh, these payday loan uh, programs and is uh, here to teach us what what we really, um, I guess, to, to in, inform us, I think a lot of us, we, we hear all of the facts that they're, these are predatory. If you keep borrowing and you don't pay back your loans, you're going to have up to a 400% interest rate uh, annually. And um, But Rick's been teaching us something really cool, I think, that it's maybe not about um, – there, there's more to this than just fixing it. The government, let's say, steps in fixes it by saying we're going to cap percentages that they can that they can charge for interest. But you're saying that would inevitably put these businesses out of business because they need it's it's a fee-based business. It's not an they're not doing it by interest rate. They're doing it by fees, right? Yeah, but it, I mean it is an implied interest rate and we've seen this in other states that when a state puts a limit of say 32%, you can't charge more than 32% annual percentage rate on a loan, these companies go out of business. And and the question is is that a good thing or a bad thing? Are if they're if they're predatory, that's a great sure, thing. Sure, get rid of them. Uh it's not clear that they're predatory. And, and predatory meaning targeting minority communities. Um, in a lot of the research you've read, you're saying th- they don't necessarily show that they're targeting minority communities. They are targeting income brackets. Seems like it. Yeah, but I mean – People that uh, need money. They're, they're predatory in that – are they predatory in that they're targeting middle income uh, areas? I mean right. I, I don't know. Well, I mean that's what's funny. They're not targeting poor people. <laughs> yeah, they're not – I mean because again, poor people aren't a good ROI for them. <laughs> That's Middle right. income people are the best return on the investment. That's right. Because they'll pay the loans back. I mean everybody every business does that. They target their um they target their their key market whatever that may be. And we see this with payday lenders. I mean you, you brought up the question uh if they go away 
Is that a good thing or a bad thing? One thing we have seen, banks have not been able to profitably offer this loan product and they've tried. Uh, there, it's been suggested by some policymakers that, well, why don't we offer government loans, low interest rate loans? My prediction would be that the government would lose a lot of money on oh, those yeah. loans. Well, and I mean, we've, we, we're not good at loans. Uh, no, we're not. That's right. I mean, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, I mean, we struggled. It's caused problems. Now, in the United States, we are professionals at, at loans in the sense that I think we borrow and spend quite a bit, yeah. both, both individually and at the government level. Uh, is that a bad thing? Is it too much? It seems like we maybe do borrow a little too much, yeah. from, in my opinion, and it seems like financial markets say that a little bit. Um, but does the government know better than I do about how, when I should borrow and when I shouldn't? That's, well, that's a key question. That really is. And because the minute the governments are, are getting in and, and mandating you know, interest rates, mandating these things, I mean, if the banks aren't going to take it, it just seems like to me banks and financial institutions would be better at managing this than the federal government. The federal government, I guess, could create a law or a statute of how they need to run, I guess. But I guess what we're also saying is if they put the wrong or a low, too low of an interest rate, then the businesses aren't going to exist anyway. And then what happens? So what happens if all payday loans were gone? You know, if there's a demand for that type of lending, my prediction would be that something else would pop up. I mean, Another the U.S. Version. market is pretty innovative. There's always people looking to start a business, looking to fulfill demand, looking to make some money. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of the U.S. economy. I think we're the best in the world at that kind of innovation. Uh, but we also know that there are predatory businesses, predatory practices. So you want to just kind of make sure people are safe. In cases where there's a market failure, you want the, the government to regulate or take care of that. It's not clear that there's a market failure in the payday lending industry. And in particular, Utah was a great laboratory for me because Utah is one of the least regulated states. Hmm. And so we could look at the data in a way that was pretty much unencumbered or undistorted by, by – by regulation, and and it, we didn't find a lot of evidence for predatory practices. And so it's funny because we hear the terms predatory practices, yet, like you're saying, we didn't find a lot of evidence for it. Um, and if it was as lucrative as everyone thought it was, um, the banks for sure would be in it. Credit cards would, or uh, um, credit unions would probably be jumping on it. I would even think the big big grocery chains would be doing it. That's Just right. Because people are already there and needing 100 bucks to pay for the groceries. But it's – so it, there must not – either it's highly regulated everywhere else or there's just not the money in it that everyone would think there is. Yeah, I would suspect it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean we do have examples of things in the United States where the government steps in and, and fixes a problem. I think Social Security is a great example where the government actually saves for my retirement – and it's essentially yeah. saying you can't save for your retirement well enough. We've got to step in. And there's, there's a. I think the data suggested at least to some degree that that was true. That people are more willing to save tomorrow than today, and so we end mm -hmm. up not having enough savings when we we get older. And so it, it ends up performing some safety net function due to a behavioral thing that we have. Uh, 
If that's the case with payday lending, we should be very specific about what are the areas in which we feel like this market is not serving people, is hurting people. And if we identify those kind of things, those are the pieces that need to be regulated. Yeah. I haven't seen good um, – very good evidence of, of that type of analysis. Yeah, maybe it's more symbolic. We're, we're taking these predator loan people and we're going to regulate them. But it just seems like they're still serving a need. What should people do if they're $100, $200 under budget? They don't have the money to pay the rent. I don't know. Like over your lifetime, have you ever borrowed money from your parents? Um, like I, yeah, I just – most scary. people – right? <laughs> most people have – when they've hit a financial snag, have had to borrow money from someone, yeah. uh, their parents or – uh, floated something on their credit card. What do you do when you don't have any of those things around? I mean, there's got to be something. You can yeah. just you can just starve. Well, you can lose your house. Credit you can, card, right? So people, a lot of people, just get the credit card and they just keep giving themselves the loan, and then they go take the loan to the big credit card company, which will charge you twenty percent. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Credit cards function in much the same way as sovereign debt, right? Government debt yeah. for large countries. And it's just if you miss a payment, you get a mark on your credit score. If a country misses a payment, they get dinged in international bond markets. Mm. And there's that's actually a nice market mechanism to incentivize people not to default. Yeah. Like we used to put people in debtor's prison. We don't have to do that anymore because there are other market mechanisms that that punish you and me enough for doing that, that, that on, on average, most people don't default. Yeah. As an economist, it, do you – we've talked about it earlier. Are we educated enough on this? I mean, we talk STEM. We talk STEM education, all of these different things, all of these rules you have to meet as a school, a criteria to meet. But in reality, we are – I don't think our kids have a clue about finance and interest and – and yet they, they'll come to school their first semester and be picking up credit cards at the store. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I don't think we're ever educated enough. And in this area, it seems like we might be going in the wrong direction. And I think it has to do with how patient we are, how, how willing people are to forego consumption today in order to have more tomorrow yeah. is savings. Seems like uh, we're more focused on immediacy and uh, less willing to save. Uh, but again, does the government know better than I do when I should be saving and when I should be consuming? It's yeah. that's a hard case that's to the make. issue, huh? Because you don't. We want government out of our business until we're getting shafted by a payday loan company. Yeah, I mean, it's a real predator. I, I'm not a libertarian. I think there's a lot of role for government. There are market failures. There, there are places where mm -hmm. government. Uh, programs and spending actually help us out. I just think it, it ought to be clearly justified in the cases when it does. Well, and there's also times we've wholly relied on them in our markets to protect and they weren't asleep at the will. That's right. Ugh. And now payday loans. Okay, give us one more bit of advice. So um, if you were uh, middle income, single mom, three kids – Need three hundred bucks. Parents on round. Do you do a payday loan? 
Oh man, that's a really hard question. I, but, I mean, if, if let's that say were two my, weeks, if that were my only option, two weeks we'll pay it off. Yeah, if that were my only option, I borrow two hundred dollars. I pay thirty dollars at the end. I it, it smoothed out some frictions that I would have missed some payments for my kids' expenses at the school. Um, yeah, I'd take a payday loan. On the other hand, there, there are probably examples of people who uh, are just using these loans habitually, getting in a hole, mm-hmm. getting in a, a, a debt hole. I, that's not unique to the payday lending no, market. Right. No, that happens in credit cards. Exactly. That happens in home mortgages. I mean, so there's nothing, there's what, nothing unique there. What wouldn't you – I mean, are there certain things you, uh, that makes more sense to put on a payday loan? Um, well, the things rent, that don't make sense is, yeah. is you, you don't want to put it for just kind of discretionary spending. Yeah, to buy that new pair of shoes. Yeah. But again, that goes for credit cards. Yeah. That goes for uh, larger loans, you know, car loans. Uh, you know, you don't want to add too much. I don't want to get this souped up stereo beyond the means that my income can right. support. Just, I guess, you know, save and then buy. <laughs> save right. and buy. And then, but again, there are so many that are just paycheck to paycheck. But um, interesting. Well, we appreciate you. It's great uh, insight, I think, for all of us. Uh, Dr. Rick Evans, again, professor of economics at Brigham Young University. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot, Matt. Great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, you uh, – we can call them predators. And you know what? I am sure in the payday loan world, there are some pretty just ugly, you know, companies that will – they'll just take advantage of you. Um, but uh, like Dr. Evans was saying, it, it may not be taking more advantage of you than your credit card company would. Or, you know, your cable company that wants to be paid or your bank, right? So in the end, we can rely, I guess, on the government to come in, step in and save our our day. But folks, at some point, we've got to learn, right? We've got to learn our own limits and start pushing back on our own needs. I get it. There are certain uh, populations that are so paycheck to paycheck they're struggling and, you know, we don't want them to be taken advantage of. But for the rest of us, which are apparently middle America, uh, middle income, who are being targeted by these organizations, they, they're, they're after you because you're going to pay the loan back. And they're charging the rates that the markets will allow. They're charging the rates that are justified and, and warranted. $15 for a $100 loan, that's a pretty good deal. But if that $100 loan is so that you can go drive a car that you can't afford, then guess what? Don't blame the payday loan company for your problem. You probably ought not be driving that car. I mean, again, just back to the the issues of how we teach our children um, to say no, it's it's really hard. I, I have a truck that my son does not want to drive. It's just not cool enough. And I'm telling you, the more he tells me about how uncool this beat up 
truck of mine is, the more he's going to drive that truck if he wants to drive a car. I told him, anytime he wants, you can go get your own car. But holy cow, as a kid that had to make every payment for my own car from 16, 17 on, um, it was a, it's, it's a great lesson. It's also a great lesson in deciding what you don't need, what you don't want. And there, there's a very real lesson we need to be teaching all of our family, all, our, all of our children. Let's start just saying no. We don't, need to, we don't need to buy the next thing. We don't need to have the next phone. We don't need to just keep consuming. At some point, let's just find happiness with what we do have, with what we actually are doing um, and what, what we possess instead of what we're buying. Maybe the happiness has got to be more in what, who I am, who I'm becoming. Do I like myself? Because if I don't like myself, having a new car probably isn't going to make a difference there. I'm going to bet, too, it won't make us happy. So anyway, I, uh, I get it. I don't want predators out there. Watch out for the payday loan idea. But two, um, it seems like we can legislate all we want. But if we put them out of business, what's the next answer? What is going to happen if nobody can get a loan to, you know, to pay their rent for the $300? Personally, if we're going to legislate something, can I just suggest we legislate – education. Let's mandate and have our government mandate that our kids all have to go through a training to learn personal finance, interest, balancing a checkbook, you know, making deposits in your bank, savings, 401ks, IRAs. Let's not have that training just be held every time we, you know, have our company sponsor the, uh, 401k people to come in and tell us where our money's going. Have, have that taught to our high school kids. You want legislation? Education. Let's start legislating education. Maybe that would help more. Anyway, just my little view. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Doing what we can to help you live longer with some money in your pocket and uh, live a healthier, happier life. Stick with us. Next hour, more fun, more ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Hey, you're making it. Another day. Ah, joy. Joy to the world, folks. We've got a, a great show for you. Dr. Frank Ninavaji will be joining us. He is, um, he is our, he's on the show about every month, every couple months, and uh, is a psychiatrist and uh, at, at Yale, basically. He's the real deal. Child psychi- psychiatrist. And we're going to have him work over Ben today. Ben, uh, we, we saw Ben, uh, I saw him running yesterday. And then turn the corner. Next thing I know, Ben's on the ground, gasping, uh, almost seizing. 
And uh, maybe we ought to ask the good doctor if Ben's health is okay. Um, Dr. Ninavaji is going to be talking to us about life, the horse race. Is it a horse race, a rat race, or an amazing adventure? When you look at your life, Terry South, horse yes. race, rat race, amazing adventure. Hmm. It's not a horse race. Because usually things, when they turn into a, a competition and there's no real prize at the end. Yeah. Eh. Billy. Not really interested. <laughs> a rat race kind of seems... Does it feel like that? Negative? Yeah. Not really. Right. Like you're chasing for a, for cheese for no reason. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I guess, what that means. You don't want you don't want that. Isn't it an amazing adventure? Most days are kind of boring. Uh, are they in your life? Yeah. I mean, you go home. You, I end up like, you know, vacuuming the house. It's kind of boring. How often do you vacuum? Just once a week. But I mean, there's there's things like that. There's that that type of things yeah. that rise to Just that quality the, of, of excitement. Mun- yeah, the mundane. There's monotonous. mundane things in life. So it's an adventure. Yeah. Absolutely. But not all the time. Okay. And if you expect the adventure at all times, you're going to be disappointed. Man. See? Wow. Maybe I should go to Yale. Eh... Just go vacuum. Really? Why don't you just go vacuum? Man. We'll be getting uh, to Dr. Ninavaji in just a few minutes. He really is. He's one of my favorite guests. Uh, he's he's super deep, sometimes hard to understand because he's just so dang smart. But he's he's going to just talk to us about 40 years. He's had 40 years practicing psychiatry. And um, what has he learned about life? Yeah. Hmm. We'll get to that. You don't want to miss that. By the way, National Pretzel Day as well. Uh, National Pretzel Day, a day not to be, you know, don't don't twist that day around. Don't mess up the twister. Mm. Mm, I love pretzels, warm pretzels. Are you kidding me? All day long. Like a loaf of bread, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll get to all of that. But first, <laughs> let's get to Katie Jarvis, find out uh, what's going on in the headlines. Katie? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton says that half her cabinet members would be women. If elected, Hillary Clinton would share the power with other female officials in the White House. Clinton said she plans to appoint women to half her cabinet positions because she wants a cabinet that looks like America. And she says America is 50 percent women. Clinton said in response to a question of whether she would match the Canadian prime minister's pledge to fill half his cabinet positions with women, that it was a personal choice and that she felt it would be best for the country. Severe weather is coming in the Midwest. School districts and authorities are bracing themselves for the possibility of long-track tornadoes and large hail due today in the Great Plains area. The most dangerous weather will likely take place over a 70,000-square-mile area stretching from southern Oklahoma to southern Nebraska. In all, nearly 37 million people in the western regions of that area are at risk of experiencing the severe weather. A federal judge is supporting a voter ID law. The judge has upheld a sweeping North Carolina law that requires residents to show photo ID before voting. In the 485-page ruling, it stated that the law served a legitimate state interest with the aim to detect and deter fraud. The judge upheld all parts of the Republican-backed law, which included not only photo ID requirements, but reducing the early voting period and ending same-day registration. Critics of the law argue it targets black and Hispanic voter participation, but Governor Pat McCrory enacted the bill in 2013, and he said that the ruling is not only common sense, it's constitutional. 
And a Disney cruise rescued Cuban fugitives that are wanted in New Orleans. The cruise ship rescued the three fugitives off the coast of Cuba who were wanted criminals in New Orleans. Officials said in a news release that the Disney fantasy cruise ship found them clinging to a capsized boat. All three were wanted for violating their supervised release on federal credit card fraud charges. Authorities believe the fugitives were Cuban nationals who were living in the U.S. and were trying to flee to Cuba to avoid prosecution. And Hershey's will be selling meat bars. The company is calling the new meat bar products Crave Bars, adding to the Crave line of beef jerky that Hershey's recently bought. The meat bars include flavors like blueberry barbecue beef and pineapple orange. Hershey's will start selling the bars in August. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thanks, Katie. That is disgusting. Meat bars. My hey. wife purchased some. Uh, it was some of it was some of that product. It was beef jerky, <laughs> and they have like fruit flavored beef jerky, which is gross. Mom, mom, can I have another meat bar? <laughs> they have like some sea salt type flavor or teriyaki type thing, and then like it was like a blueberry boysenberry thing. I'm like, what is this? And you eat it, it's just meat bar, beef jerky, and fruit. Like, what? I, gross. I, I can handle some lime on my beef jerky. You put the lime in the coconut. <laughs> Is that what you mean? No, like lime on beef. Oh, on your yeah. beef jerky. Yeah. yeah, that's gross. That's a different song. But you like spam, so yeah. but we'll just dismiss your opinion. I like spam, and that really <laughs> is a meat bar. I mean, pseudo meat bar. Yeah, it, it's definitely a bar. It's a bar. Whatever it is. It's a salt bar. It's like a salt lick for a cow. But uh, who wants – I don't know. Is this something people want? I mean, is this – People, Maybe people need a meat bar. They usually they her, big companies like Hershey don't do things without product testing and talking to people and trying to figure out what does what do the what does the customer want so they'll buy it. So maybe people want meat bars, a chocolate coated beef jerky stick of some kind. Yeah, yeah, sounds gross. Sounds really gross. Um, but I got to go back to the news. Disney Cruise mm-hmm. rescues some Cuban fugitives wanted in New Orleans. They're just out floating in the, They're the just Gulf. Floating in the Gulf. And then you look up, just imagine you're just floating there. And you look up, and all of a sudden you see this great big Disney ship. Mickey looks over the side of the boat. Well, hello, little fella. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, is that you? And the next thing you know, you're thinking, oh, we're just going to. This will be great. Yeah. Food, hang out on Disney, and they're running your, you know, fingerprints. <laughs> Blasted. I mean, if you're going to be saved, you know, floating on a raft somewhere, a Disney cruise wouldn't be a bad way to go until you get to New Orleans. There are pirates. I don't know if they're in the Gulf, but there yeah. could be. Jeez. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. By the way, I mean, I can't even afford a Disney cruise. So maybe you got to be a fugitive to be. Maybe. I don't know. Go in debt. <laughs> go get a payday loan. Get a payday loan and we go on a cruise. We talked about that last hour. If you missed the payday loan section, go back one hour and uh, check out uh, how to be able to afford a cruise or just go capsize your boat. <laughs> That's one way to do it. It's National Pretzel Day, by the way. It's also National Static Cling Day, hmm. a day that many people do not celebrate no. as your pant leg is... <laughs> Like stuck to your... Unless that person shows up to the office with a sock stuck to the back of their shirt or something. It's always fun. <laughs> Do you remember those commercials growing up? Yeah. Like the lady got all the way to like the wake with a, <laughs> her husband's sock stuck to her Well, I've back. had it 
it's sort of static clean, but it's it's the kind of thing where you put your shirt on and you you put your arms through the shirt, and all of a sudden you have a sock yeah. in your hand. You're like, where did that come from? No, oh. but have you ever like? There's something with my car sometimes where when I get out of my car, I get static clean. Hmm. You know. Yeah. And then and then I go pump gas. That's good. Yeah. I would do that. Probably yeah. touch your car a little bit. Yeah, I touch just my ground car yourself. a lot now. Yeah. Just to ground my. I actually, I, I get down on the ground and I roll around. When you're in your car, do you rub your feet really fast on the carpet? Uh-huh. Okay. I like to maybe do that. Wanna, maybe and I like to that. just keep moving in my seat. Yeah, yeah. There, there's your problem right there. It's super fun though when I touch my kids and I shock them. Yeah, I get my my kid found that out a few months back, so we just sort of shuffle around the house and shock each other from time to time it's fun when you're four i told my kid that he loses brain cells when he does it <laughs> so knock it off just knock it off um so terry what yes. what else do we need to worry about uh, i have a follow-up on a story we talked about yesterday yes we talked about uh was a an austin texas elementary school robert e lee elementary mm. they want to rename the school okay yeah one of the top names 45 nominations. One of the top suggestions was Donald J. J. Trump Elementary. Right. We discussed, has he done enough as a uh, a person in this country to have an elementary school named after him? We kind of kicked sure. that around for a little bit. We're not, not really sure. But the interesting thing is there's other names. Just a quick question, though. Yes. Did, you, did you nominate Schooly McSchoolface? Hold on. Okay. Just, just hold, hold, hold your, hold your horses there. We t- who was the uh, Harper Lee? Yeah, Harper was Lee a name was another that name. was mentioned. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a know, great one. I, there's there, there's, be... some, there's some controversy there with some of the things she's yeah. done, but I mean, writing a book, education, right. you know. But there's got to be other names. Just this is in Texas, right? Austin, right? So, so people have been inspired by Bodie McBoatface, Beachy McBeachface. Yeah. We had that one from Australia. Yeah. Horsey McHorseface was oh, another one. It was a go. racehorse that was recently named that. And now Schooly McSchoolface has been proposed as the new name of an elementary school in Austin, Texas. Now, it's not top 10 names, but Give it's it one time. of the names. Someone tossed it into the uh, the voting pool there. Um, <laughs> they're trying to re- replace Robert E. Lee Elementary School for, you know, give it a new name. Schooly McSchoolface was one of them, but not under consideration. Other names with 34 nominations. Uh, let's see here. So other weird nominations. See, these weren't in the top ten, but they were included. Okay. The Aldolf Hitler School of Friendship oh, and Tolerance. No. <laughs> of Friendship and Tolerance. That the, changes everything. The Bleeding Heart Liberal Elementary. Oh, boy. Hypothetical Perfect Person Memorial Elementary. <laughs> uh, two for the Bodie McBoatface. Mm-hmm. And then their Schoolie Mc... What they called it... They wanted it Bodie McBoatface Elementary, and then somebody else put Schoolie McSchoolface. Right. Which I think would be more appropriate, the yeah. Schoolie McSchoolface. Well, and these are kids. Kids might love their name, that, to you know, to be Schoolie McSchoolface. That's cute. Yeah, but I like the hypothetical person or perfect person memorial yeah. elementary school. Because that's really what it comes down to, is you're you're trying to... Have someone that, like, uh, what, uh, Truman Elementary is across the street right. from my house, right? See, yeah. He's a president, right. you know, you, you can, your kids can study that bit of history. And they're connected and, to that president. The, I went to Hillside Elementary School, which has really yeah. no basis on well, anything other than it's the side of a hill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but at least, you know, you, there's a hill. Right. There's a hill. And you're by, on the side of it. On the side of it. And it was hard to walk to in the snow and the driving wind up and down both ways. Mm-hmm. That's the story I'm going with. That's a great story. Yeah, it's great. I would use it. I would work it. But it was uphill both ways, not up and down both ways, right? it was. It was undulated. Okay. There was an undulation. They've smoothed Ooh. it out since then, but. I once had an undulation. <laughs> 
don't even want to talk about it. Hey, uh, uh, Tom Brady's back in the news. Remember, uh, yesterday we announced Deflate Gate appeal. Tom Brady, his suspension, his suspension has been reinstated. So, do you remember the whole Deflate Gate? Then uh, Tom Brady got a four-game suspension imposed by the NFL commissioner, and then they took it to court and said, "You can't, you can't suspend us. You don't have that authority." I guess. So Tom Brady played all of last season. Played all of last season, and now a higher court has said, oh, yes, you do. So you're going to go back, and now he's under suspension again uh, starting this next year. But here's the deal. This, uh, this is such important news that our own presidential candidates want to get in on it. First of all, let's start by saying, leave Tom Brady alone. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's a great guy. It's enough. Enough. Cheers and booze. Now, if you remember, when all this Donald Trump running for president started, Tom Brady all of a sudden during the football season puts on a "Make America Great" hat during a press during a uh, like a locker room interview session. Oh, and yeah. everybody went nuts. Like, what's he doing? Why is he wearing that hat? Interesting. There. They're buddies. I don't know if friends would be the right word, but there's there's an acquaintance, there's a familiarity between the two. You know. They run in a similar circle. That's interesting. Allegedly. So if you let's just say you're trying to advise Donald Trump yes. on who to talk to, how to talk to him. I mean, that's hard. Because mm, so he doesn't listen. He doesn't listen. There's probably only one person that would even dare advise Donald Trump on how to talk to people. Come out of those towers named for yourself and actually talk and listen to people. You don't just fly that big jet in and land it and go make a big speech and insult everybody you can think of. I somehow don't think that kind of puts you in touch with what's going on. There you go. That's weird. That's weird. Because, I don't know. I don't see... Is she, is, is she in touch with in the touch. people? She still flies in on a big plane. Yeah. Well, she doesn't fl- do a flyby and try to set up. Right. You know, so he has – Trump tries to set up some of his campaign events at airports so his airplane can do a flyby and everyone goes, ooh, look ooh, at my jet. big plane. But I, I actually – none of them. They're all in a bubble. Yes. Every right? one of them. And, and, but Clinton is in a big bubble because – even though she she touches a lot of hands, shaking a lot of hands, meets a lot of people, does a lot of things in a day, she's still in a bubble. She's still not living like the rest of us. There's a pot kettle thing going on there. That is going to be the weirdest race if those two go head to head. Because I can't even imagine how Donald would respond to that. Oh, hang on, folks. Hang on for dear life. That's why we need a psychiatrist. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, he'll be joining us in just a few minutes, folks. He's he's just such a great guest. He uh, um, is an associate attending physician at the Yale New Haven Hospital and the medical director of the Devereaux Glen Holmes School in Connecticut. He's going to be talking to us about um, 40 years in the business. What has it taught him about life? Is it a horse race, a rat race, or an, an amazing adventure? Stick with us, folks. Prepare to be elevated. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back in just a sec.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we have uh, a wonderful guest, friend of the show, Dr. Frank J. Ninavaji, um, who is an associate attending physician at Yale New Haven Hospital in Connecticut. He, um, he has been on the show many times with us to talk about uh, child psych- psychiatric issues and how, how really to motivate, how to connect to our kids at a different level. Today, we've asked him to talk about an article that he wrote called Life. Horse race, rat race, or an amazing adventure. It's basically 40 years of practice. He's been, he's been uh, practicing for 40 years, and I just want his insight. What does a psychiatrist think, and what has he learned over 40 years about life? Is it a horse race, a rat race, or an amazing adventure? Dr. Ninavaji, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you again for having me privilege and always an honor. I know. I love having you on. I learned so much. And uh, I thought this topic is so perfect as well, because you've seen it all, I'm sure. Well, a lot. Yeah. Talk to me um, about, uh, you know, what, your reflections. What, what, when you think of life, what is it? Well, uh, a big and important question. I can only approximate uh, in uh, the little time we have, some ideas, some some hints. Life is amazing. Life is complex. Life ultimately is really a mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. For me, it is exactly what I kind of um, say in that essay. It's an amazing adventure. But in all my experience, from the beginning to right now, most people, and I am a child, adolescent, adult psychiatrist, um, I'm a clinical psychiatrist, a clinical caregiver, so I see people of all different ages from, I used to see three-year-olds, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, and now mostly I see adolescents and young adults, and they all sort of labor under this um, anxiety and dysphoria, feeling that they're in a a rat race, Mm. a sort of endless pursuit. They question the meaning of who they are, what life is all about. It's a sort of never-ending cycle of demands and work. Or they feel it's a kind of a horse race type of a thing, competitive, demands put on them to hurry up, to excel, to win, to do better, to achieve, always um, looking for or actually experiencing that there is no meaning. That's the sort of subliminal, subliminal communication. There is no meaning. It's just a frenzied activity which is sort of mindless, Mm. sort of autopilot thing that they're doing. Now, truthfully, I've never played a video game in my life. Really? Never. Frank. That is, (laughs) and I am frank about it because that's my name. (laughs) That's crazy. And that's my M.O. I have never played a video game. I don't have an interest in it. I have an interest in people. Hmm. I work with people. That's my... If you want to say game, game in the sense of interactive adventure. But when I view people every day on the street, 
in stores, even if I'm driving in the car, and we all have this experience, uh, people are playing on their telephones, their Mm -hmm. iPhones. They're looking down. uh, They're playing games. They're listening. They're always doing something almost in an autopilot fashion. They're sort of themselves like living robotic devices. So that led me to think about the whole thing, not just emotionally to feel about it, but to think, you know, I've got to write about this. And that led me to write about, this, write about it in this paper, hmm. Life, Horse Race, Rat Race, or Amazing, amazing Adventure. And, I mean, these are young, these are adolescents, these are teens, these are younger um, people, and they, the idea that they're hopeless, that, like, life has no purpose, life has no meaning, is that – is finding meaning something we hand to people? Do we hand people meaning or do people discover their own meaning? And are these people that just, because of anxiety or depression or mental health issues, can't find their meaning? Yeah. Well, you know, when you were saying that, I got the image, the feeling – Meaning is kind of like food. Do we hand children, do we hand children food and expect that that's all there is, that that's the nourishment? Food is sort of a means. We present the opportunity, the food. We expect that at a certain point, the the infant, the child, etc., is going to be able to put that food in its own mouth, chew the food, swallow the food, and then that child, that individual system, will take on physiologic processes of uh, digestion, assimilation. It's all sort of in a passive theologic way. Now, meaning is, and you know, my big thing is biomental. Right. A human being is biomental. At one point, I had used the expression biopsychospiritual, but then in writing the book psychologically, I emphasized biomental so that the uh, medical psychological community could understand my position and accept it. Hmm. That's phase one. Yeah. Uh, You'll get spiritual in later. uh, Well, I put that in the book on Ayurveda. That was my very first book. Okay. Because that's included in the Eastern traditions. Right. It's assumed that that's real. No no one has to prove it. They live that. Right. So, but that's, as they say, another part of the real world. Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about the Western part of the real world. So... Um, the biomental, now, meaning is more the mental part, the psychological part, and the psychological means intellectual and emotional, and actually that's what I'm really working on now, a new book on emotions. And meaning is really very, very, very emotional. A meaning starts out with emotion and only later on becomes intellectualized. But it's a combination of both. It can't be split or divided. 
<clears throat> so it's integral to a human being. But meaning has to be sort of created. One has to create meaning for oneself. We can present others with opportunities. That's the food, right? That's the food. And then the other has to take that in and then work with it in a sort of adventurous way and then kind of through motivation, self-advocacy, self-leadership, kind of put it, piece it together according to that individual's temperament, personality, curiosity. I'm going to use a big word. I love this word. The epistemophilia of the self, the epistemophilic instinct, that drive that we all have to understand, to know, to grasp, to discover. And that means to discover ourselves, our own personal reality, which really is not like an egocentric reality. It's the reality of ourselves as human beings, members of humanity, our common humanity, which we all share. Hmm. But the old expression, charity begins at home, we have to start with ourselves. Nobody can give us freedom. We have to learn to become free and then share that with others. Is it the, um, this idea of rat race you, it's almost like we get so sucked into it yes. that we're not present in it. And it's kind of oh. like you're just being tossed around the river. Um, is that a key then to this is somehow figuring out how – I mean to make it an adventure, you actually almost seem to have to want to be in the river or at least make the best of the river and be present in the river. I don't think we have a choice. We are present in the world and I think I use that expression in this uh, paper. Yeah. Uh, being in the world, but not of the world. We have no choice but to be here. Yeah. We're alive. We're, we're in here. No man, no woman is an island. We are all part of the whole. But that doesn't mean we're mud. Right. It, <laughs> mud, dirt, earth is living. It's a living biosphere. There's life. There's quote-unquote, intelligence here. Yeah. It's for us to discover that we are part and parcel of it. That's cool. As a matter of fact, in that very first book, uh, Ayurveda, I coined another phrase, which I believe I coined, a term to convey this idea, eco-corporeality, that we are part, our whole body, soul, spirit, mind is part of the corpus of the real world we exist in. Hmm. We're not separate. We're born from the dust, from the earth. We are still the earth right. and the dust, but more. We are it, but more. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, I'm kind of what's called a, sort of a monist in philosophy. <laughs> Monism. M-O-N-I-S-M, not like you're moaning. No, but, no, right, but but mono right, meaning mono. Not, not M O A N. Yeah, M O N. Yeah, right, right. A oneist. A, a That's great. Uh, yeah, like a, a unifier. You're a. You see the wholeness. Things as all connected, all connected. 
not a blur, but all connected with a monumental diversity and facets hmm. of difference, all needing to be recognized for what they are and respected. Yeah. And I guess that's – we'll take a break, Frank, but we'll come back. But that is, I guess, what differentiates it being a rat race, a horse race, something that you're yeah. just – it's all about competition. It's it's divisive. It's me against my neighbor versus holistic it. figuring right. out a way to make it through together. Yes. That's cool. The split makes envy. Superior, yeah. inferior. The haves and the have-nots and then the envy – which generates greed and jealousy and all those things that are called negative, mm. negative emotions. The split makes envy. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> and how to be a unifier. Stick with us, folks. More with Dr. Frank Ninavaji, um, and we're going to continue this, uh, this journey, figuring out how to be less divisive, how to be more unifying, how to see the whole world at uh, your fingertips, which would definitely make it more of an, ama- an amazing adventure. Stick with us. More when we come back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Dr. Frank J. Ninavaji. Uh, he is an associate attending physician at the Yale New Haven Hospital and assistant clinical professor of child psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine Child Study Center in New Haven, Connecticut. He also uh, writes for Psychology Today, has many, many, many articles, articles there, and also books published um, that you, you just you, you got to learn more about Frank Ninavaji. We love having him on the show to pick his brain. He's a child psychiatrist and adolescent psychiatrist and clinically practices. So he's, you know, he's not just in a classroom teaching. He's there face to face with his patients. And uh, today he's teaching us about life. And uh, is it a horse race, rat race, or an amazing adventure? You can get the entire article if you just go to Psychology Today and look up life horse race. Um, you'll get right to it. I'm sure that's an easy way to get to it. Dr. Ninavaji, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks. You bet. Keep teaching us. You, uh, before the break, you were talking about the fact that when we, when we don't see life as a whole, like a, you're calling it monis, monism? Monism. Monism. Yeah, monism. Um, then when we don't see life as a whole and every part of our life is part of this whole, then we, we, we might start dichotomizing. We might start breaking things off, and splitting splitting things. Splitting. I mean, that's... Usually, it's always easier to concentrate on the the darker part or the negative in a way only to make the whiter, the uh, more positive, clearer and more distinct. So um, the whole or unity is, is most real because that's where it's at. But uh, rather than talk about monism or unity or integrity, sometimes it's, um, it's a better learning experience, and the mind finds it easier to see what's wrong hmm. uh, and think of it in terms of splitting. 
or when you say you use the word divisiveness, mm-hmm. you know they say on a field of uh, white, it's easier to see one or two black spots than all the white and take note of all the white. Hmm. You know when someone does ninety nine right things and one wrong thing, you always pick out the wrong thing. <laughs> now, is that that just seems like survival, right? If if, if there's white and two black things, yeah, I only need to worry about the negatives. I mean, right. to not die. We, be, sometimes we do that so that um, we can see what's quote-unquote wrong and then try to correct it. But ordinarily, because uh, humans tend to have punitive consciences, uh, we tend to negativize the negative and punish and persecute. And rather than view it as a learning opportunity or a problem to solve to uh, make things even better than they are to improve we do the opposite hmm. isn't that crazy but and, and so i guess the way it is, right? that is it is what it is but that then that perpetuates the rat race that perpetuates the rat race and what you the word you used earlier on uh hopelessness which uh tends to ge- generate helplessness. Mm. I can't, I can't, I can't. When in point of fact, we can, we can, we can, if we have the necessary motivation and sense of enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, not unrealistic, but a sense of enthusiasm, positivism. Purpose. Sense of purpose, because purpose means there is meaning. But we have to generate and create the meaning, the meaningfulness, the salience in life. Is this then what you meant by we, we kind of have to be in the world, but not of the world, not follow its traditional downward spiral down the drain? That's right. Not uh, Swim not, upward. Not um, blindly conventional. Yeah. And not just assume – that everything that goes on, just because 99% of the people are doing what they're doing, that it's all the way to do it. Yeah. We all have to kind of conform to society and civilization and culture, because that's what we are as human beings. We're, quote-unquote, civilized and social, you know, the social perspective. But when that's done in a highly passive way, it kind of turns into cow-like. It turns into us becoming blind and simply following in, an, in a mindless way the group, the crowd, without really thinking about us as individuals who make up the, the group or the collective. Hmm. And... Because it seems like uh, you could also be a leader that could lead others to a better life as well. I mean, if if, if people are going to be blindly following, then this isn't really a race at all. You just got to be present, figure out your purpose, and and make a plan. It seems like, and it, everyone will either follow you, or you know, you'll pretty much go get what you need. That's the whole. That's like. A- that's what I say parenting's about, nurturance, discipline, and living example. Hmm. Living example. And I'm beginning to think that living example 
is like one of the primaries, living example, living example, not just example, but living, breathing example. Mm. It's, and you're saying that might be that might be one of the primary jobs of the parent. Then is the living example. In living example is nurturance, is love, yeah, and is discipline. Everything is in there, but a lot of times we want to kind of split things apart to make them intellectually a little bit more understandable. So we break it up into subdivisions. And, you know, love always has to be emphasized because um, it really is the unifier. Yeah. And I, I, I'm a big proponent of love. Agape, yeah. love. Uh, caritas, love. Uh, kindness, love. A lot of people, and many times, now I'm working on this book on emotions, and it's not even considered an emotion, a primary emotion. Hold on, love isn't? Right. They, they use the word happiness. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy is right. Who's they? Who's boy, they? Oh, girl, oh, man, <laughs> oh, woman. They don't use the word. Who's they, Frank? Just the researchers. They are the, the psychologists, the researchers, the neuroscientists. Well, what do they call a mother holding a brand new baby? They call it nurturance, attachment behavior. Oh, wow. They, they, I mean, they, they rip out yeah. the emotional salience. As a matter of fact, and I don't want to name names, <laughs> but they live right where I live here. They go to, Yale. so they, they're at Yale. They're, they're a researcher at Yale. Okay. I don't want to name names. <laughs> we won't name names. But when they talk about, and these are the, these are, what are they called, the thought leaders. <clears throat> when they talk about emotion, <clears throat> um, they leave out what I believe is the heart and soul, emotion, emotional sensation, the visceral experience of emotion. And that's what I'm trying to put on the map now in my new book, hmm. that that is number one. That is what love is, the launch pad of emotion, of, of love. And it comes first. And you don't need cognition to have it, because it's part of what is agreed upon as present at birth, temperament. That, the scientists will agree, probably is a present in the newborn, temperament. Hmm. They will agree, more or less, tongue-in-cheek, temperament. And that there are a few subclassifications of temperament, <clears throat> and I... I'm connecting uh, visceral emotion with uh, temperament and fundamental in infancy. And in infancy, we know that uh, well-developed intellect and cognition is not fully present, but emotion is present, and emotion is what causes survival. Yes, yeah, so emotion is like the baseline driver of survival. Exactly, and that's that was one of my articles about a year ago. Uh, emotions as a second language, or should it be our first? That's interesting. Yeah, right, it, right. it is I your we, it's your I first you, language. You asked me to be on the show about no, I don't know nine months ago, yeah, and we yeah. talked about that. I remember, and I love that. That was the the. Uh, the seed for me to um, generate this book. Mm -hmm. Emotions as a second language, or should they be our first? 
Yeah. Ooh. I know. It's powerful. So is um, – and you sense that that's – okay, so let me just ask you this. Then we got to go, Frank. But, okay, so connect for me spiritual and that first language emotional. I really do believe that probably in terms of human psychology from a, a human humanist point of view, from yeah. a psychological point of view – Emotions probably are the touchstone or the cryptographic key to the spiritual world. Hmm. That's probably how we can get really, 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 really spiritual. Yeah. The threshold. All religions hit on emotions rather than intellect. Right. The religions that sort of want to stress intellect don't seem to be so spiritually savvy. The religions, and, and religions usually are highly emotional. Yeah. And when, when it really presses and plays the music of your heart emotionally, uh, even the images in the old days, well, what, 2,000 years ago, uh, the Orthodox religions used to have icons. Rather than that being like blasphemous images, they merely were kind of like springboards yeah. to evoke emotions. They weren't uh, images of uh, divine entities. They were images of emotional attitudes. Yeah, senses, sensations. Senses, that's what they yeah. were. That's all they were. Nothing more. Yeah. And Ooh. then you closed your eyes and then you had what what is called communion. Uh-huh. People receive communion, close your eyes for communion. Yeah, that is cool. And then, which is why, I mean, like hymns, people that love hymns, it's speaking to their emotions. That's right. It's the, the melody. The mm-hmm. melody, the sound, music is even more spiritual than reading and language. It's emotional, yeah. very emotional. Man. These tones, yeah. This is, okay, when's this book coming out? <laughs> Get on it, Frank, come on. <coughs> I'm trying. I bet I'm you always are. trying. I know you are. You work a lot. Um, okay, we we got to let you go, but everybody go uh, go look up Frank Ninavaji, N I N I V A G G I. He's got books, uh, wonderful writings on psychology today. And what's great is he he doesn't write like a one page article. He writes in depth, so you can go research and find these quotes and find these ideas. Um, and just and follow the line of reasoning, Doctor Frank Ninavaji. We appreciate you. Uh, we'll have you right back. We got to get. We got to keep learning. Thank you so much. You bet. It's been a, a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. You, so you too. Much. And learn so much uh, as always. Uh, honestly, folks, something powerful, right? Emotion connecting. If if you're living a life and you're not connecting it down to that emotional level, and if the or if the emotions just the negative emotion of the horse race, the rat race. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sap you. It will take life away from you. We've got to connect somehow to that higher purpose in each of us. That's why we do this show, to help you see the good in the world. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up the second hour of the show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, I love Dr. Frank. He really, I'm telling you. Now, maybe it's just heady, but we are divisive beings. We can be in the world, not of the world. And then he taught us what that means as a psychiatrist on the faculty at Yale's School of Medicine. <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. Talk about um, emotions. Uh, <laughs> Terry found a story. This has got to be the most terrifying emotional moment of someone's life. So imagine you're asleep. Oh, yeah. Every 4.30 in the morning. Okay. No, just, not us, but normal people. Normal people yeah. asleep at 4.30 in the morning. You're on a family fishing trip in the Australia's Northern Territories, mm-hmm. right? You're yeah. just, you're out there, you're having some fun, you're, right. you're, you know, sleeping, you're not really, you know, you're asleep. All of a sudden, something grabs your foot. You're like, honey. And drags you out of the tent. Oh, boy. That's not my wife. 19-year-old was sleeping in his tent. The uh, crocodile grabbed his foot. Oh, Pulled wow. him out of the tent. He goes, I, he goes I, I woke up, there was something shaking my foot. It was 10 to 13 feet long. Uh, they're saying the man's very lucky and managed to kick it away with his other foot. A health department spokesman tells the Guardian, adding that he's shaken but in stable condition at a local hospital what? with puncture wounds on his lower right leg. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone the housing and boarding of alligators or any other illegally acquired reptiles in any private domicile. Wow. wow. We have situational disclaimers now. That's amazing. So the guy's asleep, and they're saying a guy from one of the universities, a researcher there, said that the... Uh, the the uh, the guy was sleeping too close to the water's edge. Yeah, they recommend being uh, 165 feet away from the the water when you go to sleep. Or how about just up in your, you know, camper? Yeah. So he was too close to the water. The crocodile got hungry. Went went for a late night snack. That guy is la uh 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 key. But you know, wait that that would be a a great way to wake up. I think. Yeah. No, at first you're like, honey, playing footsie with me. And then, <laughs> but then he ran and that he must have been in the tent running in the tent. Who didn't, wasn't he in a tent? The guy was in a tent, but maybe his feet were hanging out of an open door. Or oh, something. that's stupid. Yeah. Cause I was wondering, how does the alligator know where his feet are? I guess heat smell it's feet. Come on. No, but if he's in a tent, you smell like chicken. You're human. Have you, have you ever smelled a tent? <laughs> yes, I have. They're gross. It's very hard to smell. So the crocodile yanks him out, and that's how he woke up that morning. He is one lucky He's camper. probably still awake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, that guy's <laughs> never going to sleep again. Wow. So consider yourself lucky, folks. See, it could be worse. Your life could be a lot worse. Is it a rat race? No. It's a flipping alligator ready to just rip you out of bed in the morning. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two. Stick with us. Next hour, more fun, of course, more tools. We'll be talking with BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. We are also going to be talking about how to take the leap, how to find uh, success and take it to the ne- take your life to the next level. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Hour number three of the show. You've made it. You've made it through two hours of the day. Who'd have thunk it? It's Tuesday. And uh, we're trying to do what we can to get you through life 
it's not, you know, you were never handed a handbook, a manual, so we bring you the information you need, the tools you need to uh, live a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. Here's the deal. Uh, your job. You got you to gotta choose what you're going to do for a career. I was just asking my 15-year-old son, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? And his answer? I don't know. Well, do you want to be a cop? No. Then you do know. You know you don't want to be a cop. Do you want to be a doctor? No. Hmm. Do, now you're, you're at a car wash washing cars. Do you want to do that the rest of your life? Oh, no. I don't even think I'll do it the rest of this week. <laughs> how do you decide what you want to do? And how do you decide – Can he wash my car? No. He won't even wash my car. Okay. I was just wondering maybe you were offering – I mean, he will. Friends and family. For money. Yeah. You got money? 50 bucks. Hmm. 50 bucks. He'll take your car down to a $3 watch. There's a 30% booking fee, too, that goes straight the booking like to fee? Matt. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry to derail you. I just wondered if there was an offer there. No. My car's dirty. Yeah. No, it's not, is it? Yeah. Hey, um, here's a crazy situation. In Bangladesh, 19 toothbrushes, four broken pieces of twigs, a broken part of a tablespoon, two plastic wrappings, two broken shells of batteries, and a piece of cloth came out of a guy's stomach. That was the exclusive sound from the operating room. The operating room. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't a scalpel. (laughs) That was the half of a spoon. And you're watching a video. I'm watching it live. Of this happening. Play-by-play. Of the surgery where they're removing all of these things. Doctors said that there are instances in medical history of retrieving a toothbrush or, you know, a blade from someone's stomach. But the existence of so many objects inside of a man's stomach was astonishing. This this guy obviously has other issues, but he's – he like really, we're talking 19 toothbrushes. Yeah, the, just looking over your shoulder, the video shows them removing – from uh-huh. his stomach objects, and then they go set it in a pan, and then the pan is just is so like it's it's heaping. It's a heaping pan of a toothbrushes. Pile of toothbrushes that this man has consumed. Mom, I need another toothbrush. Timmy, what did you do with your toothbrush? I don't know. I keep losing them. Nineteen toothbrushes. Wow. Seriously. Ah, oh, that's that's sad. That's sad. I mean, his teeth must look horrible. Or. You know, maybe, maybe if brushes, he brushed before. He, that's tragic. So, um, you know, I mean, again, if you sit there and your mom says, don't eat that, you'll get sick. You can say, well, on the Matt Townsend show, a guy had 19 toothbrushes and some battery shells. What's a battery shell? Probably the outer metal oh, yeah. husk, for lack of a better term, of a, of a battery. A battery husk. Battery husk. That's crazy. <laughs> anyway, uh, we got to get to uh, the the news in just a few minutes. Uh, Bob Dickey is going to be coming on to talk to us about the leap, which is basically how to make the leap to a faith driven career in a fear based world. How do you make the leap? Like when you got to switch jobs, or you're going to you know change your entire career path. Bob Dick, you'll be here to talk about that. But first, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. Voting has begun this morning in Maryland, Delaware, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island for both Republican and Democratic primaries. Both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are expected to sweep. 
Well, that doesn't keep the other candidates from trying really hard to convince you that they have viable campaigns and they're going to push forward and change the world. They're even looking for vice presidential candidates. They are. They're vetting candidates. That's great. On Sunday, Ted Cruz and John Kasich announced an agreement to try to stop shared uh, rival Donald Trump from winning the GOP presidential nomination outright. But it appears the devil was in the details. The details make for a pretty toothless alliance. The plan for Kasich to cede the pivotal Indiana primary to Cruz and for Cruz to return the favor in Oregon and New Mexico. But as Cruz said in Indiana on Monday... Kasich has decided to pull out of Indiana to give us a head-to-head contest with Donald Trump. Kasich told a rally in Pennsylvania that his supporters in Indiana ought to vote for me. Hmm. Not Cruz. He didn't say Cruz, but he says he's not encouraging the the voters in Indiana to vote for Cruz. He's he's saying the people in Indiana that want me as president are going to vote for me. Here we go. So the alliance apparently isn't working. Cruz told allies in private talking points not to endorse tactical voting and Kasich is still holding a fundraiser in Indiana and meeting with Governor Mike Pence, though he has canceled public campaign events in the Hoosier State. Hmm. So they might have said things publicly, but when they actually go the to action, bait and switch. they're still campaigning in those states, even though they're not You know, it running. doesn't matter because Cruz is going to win those delegates anyway. Yes. He'll just sneak back. Donald Trump is reportedly punishing a new campaign advisor, Paul Manafort, for trying to make him appear more presidential. Really? Manafort apparently told Republican officials that the candidate was projecting an image and would soon start to tone down his controversial rhetoric. Trump didn't like that, according to a political report. Despite having recently rearranged his team to pull uh, power away from former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, Trump is now reversing those actions as a result of Manafort overstepping his bounds the site reports yeah everyone coming in now thinks they're going to be able to manhandle him and he's not going to let it happen an operative close to trump told politico these consultants are used to being smarter than their candidate and in this scenario the candidate is smarter and willing to risk more than you are wow this isn't this doesn't seem like what you need going on no as you're right about to ride into the sunset. I mm. want to be focusing your message. Yeah. Working on maybe how do you transition to a general campaign. Right. And instead you're fighting over, you're trying to make me look presidential. Oh, boy. I went to the Wharton School of Finance. I was like, I'm not like a really smart person. There you go. Millennials have passed baby boomers as the biggest living generation in the United States, according to numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau. There are 75.4 million millennials in the U.S. compared to 74.9 million baby boomers and going down. Well, you know what is great news about that is now we have somebody to pay for the baby boomers. Thanks, millennials. Maybe. We'll see how that works. We owe you one. Immigration is contributing to the shift in numbers as well as the old old age of baby boomers who have now been passed for the first time as these records have been kept. Yeah. Wow. Also, attorneys for the Washington Redskins of the NFL have asked the Supreme Court to review two cases that could determine the fate of the team's trademark. The Redskins filed a petition Monday asking the court to review a U.S. District Court ruling in Alexandria, Virginia, that had ordered the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to cancel the team's trademark on grounds that it's offensive to Native Americans. Yeah. So their trademark's out there. If you want to use the Redskin logo, name, all that kind of, you can go ahead and do it. They're, they can't sue you because their trademark has been revoked. Wow. That happened about a year ago, I think. But So now they're asking the Supreme Court to review the case. So it's probably time that they tie down a new logo. Maybe. Well, that's the thought. They're fighting to keep their I know, logo. I know, but if now anybody can have it, yeah. keep it. But you'll lose money. 
because then anybody can – then China really can go to town on your product. They can. And you can't sue them. You can't oh, that's it. big. that's a big fight. That's big money right there. Could be. Hey, um, also, we got, we got to get to this one. This is – I'm telling you, these kids nowadays, these kids uh, – Check this out. Former University of Connecticut student is accused of changing grades in a chemistry class. Hmm. According to an arrest warrant from Yukon Police. Exactly. I saw that on Saved by the Bell. Yeah, that was years ago. Right. That's that's actually where he got the idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Omar Farage, 18, um, uh, changed his grade from a C to an A. Mm, Should have gone with the B. I know. Half steps or less Oh, no. Sorry. A minus. But the grades of eight other classmates uh, – uh, but the, but he didn't, I guess well, – hold on. This is written weird. But the grades of eight other classmates, I guess, were, weren't changed or something. Hmm. He was taking the general chemistry class, which was taught by Dr. Young Chan's son. And um, the Yukon investigators determined that Farage memorized his lecturer's password after several meetings with him in the office. Hmm. He logged into Yukon's PeopleSoft system, which is used to maintain and keep student grades to make the first round of changes. They said he then changed his grade. Oh, and the grades of two others at first. Sun told investigators that he received email notifications about grade changes and reported them to UConn officials. Oops. So that's some serious cheating. Actually, he did do all eight. So he broke in. Broke he, in. He changed his. His, two others. Then they started getting on to him. And then I guess he eventually changed a total of eight. Wow. I wonder what you get paid for such cheating. Hmm. I mean, a C is a pretty good grade, isn't so it, in could, chemistry? If he went for a B instead of an A-, minus, do you think anybody would have caught him? I don't would know. Would they have known? And then, then then, there's the idea that you start changing all these other people's grades also. That looks conspicuous after a while. Because I imagine every change is logged. Yeah. They kind of know who's doing what. Yeah. So if you do one change, it would be less of a chance of being caught than if you did right. eight because or that's, nine. that won't – that's – probably normal to change one person's grade a day right but all of a sudden eight grades come on yeah omar that's why you're failing brother you gotta think these (laughs) things through you if you you gotta know how to cheat that is now you can't even it used to be teachers grade books do you remember on their desks yes they had the grade book and Mm -hmm. the grade book was money because you could see your grade so if the teacher had the grade book out you'd go ask her a question and look at your grade and then you'd look at your friend's grades so you could laugh at them. Yeah. You'll guess what I saw. Now it's all on tech. And uh, hey, by the way, if that doesn't tell you to take care of your password, oh, come right. on. Watch your password, doc. I love how we do sort of the kind of post-game analysis mm-hmm. of the dumb criminal yeah. sort of – I don't know if that's illegal. It's, it's, it's we're, breaking we're, school rules, obviously. Yeah, we're but. helping them learn to be a better criminal. So next time they cheat, they won't get caught. Well, you'd hope. Learn well, from your we, mistakes. We also tell them not to cheat. Yeah. Cheating. But if you do. This show, we don't, we don't like cheating. Cheaters no. never prosper. I used to yell that as a kid. And we also don't like alligators. Who pull you out of your tent at 4.30 We're in the morning. We're very much against alligators. Did you hear the, about the giant sinkhole in China? Just in the middle of an intersection? Really? In Hangzhou. How big? Does China. Give an estimate? It's about the size of... Uh, a large suburban. Yeah, that is pretty big. Uh, but it's only like two meters deep. But it started forming, and a cop saw that there was this really big crease. In the, mm. And he then started diverting traffic around it. And they, this whole video shows the cop 
stopping, diverting all the traffic, and then booyah, sinkhole. They seem to have uh, issues, and I've seen it speculated because they've built so much infrastructure so quickly that they might have uh, weak points that they have kind of, I guess, paved over, (laughs) and they, they end up with sinkholes. Time. That's why you got to slow down. Be patient. Florida, Florida has a, a lot of problems with the sinkholes because of the swamp area and the, the water table underneath. Right, and it right. kind of eats away at the soil. And then all of a sudden your house drops in. Yeah. There was one town. Do you remember a couple of years ago that had a huge sinkhole like that went down to the, the, the town's aquifer? Right. It was crazy. That, uh, you know, that just ruins your day, though. Yeah. Sinkholes. Honey, where'd you park the car? <laughs> I parked it right there on state. It was in the road, I swear. I can't see it. Um, Anyway, and then uh, the crazy Colorado town where uh, it's a small town, about 800 people, but there are four police officers all quit. Mm -hmm. Just they're done. We're out. Dropped the mic. Walked away. So there's there's a job opening if you're interested. If you're interested, you got to get to this Colorado town. Um, The name of the town is slowly uh, coming up. but the job is available. No, they're not actually – nobody knows what happened. And those that know aren't saying anything. Right. But if – again, if if you want to speed – Well, the that's ca- why we're not going to announce The county it. sheriff is actually covering law enforcement for the town. Yeah. Green Mountain Falls, Colorado. Four employees. Gone. The last time this type of thing happened, there was an election – and a mayor was elected that the people, the uh, police force didn't like, and so they all resigned. And then did they all come back? No. Or? Yeah. A mayor, Jane Newberry, just took office last week. There, that might be a, so an might, indication. We're having a repeat. <laughs> a repeat moment. I don't like the – maybe she's uh, maybe she's one of these socialists like Bernie Sanders and she got elected. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I doubt it because there's not many of those, but no. – <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 in Colorado, so I'm not. I don't want to have anybody just go there to speed. Right. Just you know, do just be good. Treat them treat them nicely. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we are going to be um, replaying an interview we did with Bob Dickey about the leap, how to leap from one job to another, and uh, not to be so fearful about it. Interesting insight. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, the economy is constantly changing. It's been discouraging. A lot of people uh, feel like they haven't been able to make the money they deserve or they need to make in this economy and uh, haven't been able to get back to the to the good old days when they, they, they seem to have been making better money before the economy tanked. So how do we go about making a change how do you make that shift? Uh, it's never an easy thing. Joining us today on the phone is uh, Bob Dickey. And Bob Dickey is the author of the book that's going to teach us how to make this change, this shift, this leap. And uh, who better to do it, uh, honestly, than the author of the book, The Leap? How to take the leap when you think about it. How to Take the Leap, Launching Your Full-Time Career in a Part-Time Economy. Bob Dickey, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, it's quite an honor to be with you. Thanks for, thank you for having me on your program today. You bet. Uh, love, I love this topic because 
it's not a natural thing to just, you know, when you need to change your career, you're feeling it, you sense it, you might have a passion somewhere else. It's a dangerous thing. And there's some people that don't naturally just jump or leap or take the leap. That's absolutely true. You know, I've made a couple of leaps in my career, uh, you know, from college into the military and then from the military environment into the private sector and then from private sector into a startup and then into the nonprofit work. Mm. And each time that I've done it, you know, I've learned something. I've all, I feel like I've grown my skills and my abilities, and it becomes a little bit easier. But the very first time that you do that, the very first time you take that leap kind of into the unknown, it can be very unnerving. And there's a lot of people, I believe, in this new economy that's being formed around us that need to make a really big mental leap and also sometimes a career leap so that they can have a viable career in the future. But they're being held back by anchors. They're being held back by fear. So that was what I was hoping to do with this book is to be able to educate people on what they can do to prepare for those types of leaps. Yeah, I love it. In fact, give us your definition of what is the leap. Well, first and foremost, it's a leap mentally. I think that we have to have a paradigm shift. A lot of times we are operating based on uh, things that we saw happen for our parents and our grandparents. And the economy that we're living in is completely different than how our parents and grandparents grew up. You know, millennials today are going to have anywhere from 10 to 14 different careers mm. in their lifetime. So they have to engineer, all of us have to engineer our lives completely different than what previous generations needed to do. Uh, taking the physical leap, sometimes that requires us to actually leave a career field that may be in a dying sector or in a sector that's not going to have much growth opportunity for us and our families in the future. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of encouraging people to make sure that they have more than one stream of income for their family. A lot of the people that I saw got really hurt during the last downturn in 2008 to 2009 during that economic cycle. A lot of families only had one single source of income. So when the single breadwinner loses a job, the whole family's devastated. Ooh, right. So I believe in creating multiple streams of income for our families. Now, and, and also, I guess we should probably evaluate. I know you just said that we should evaluate if we're in a if we're in an area or a specialty that's a dying, you know, job area. Is this something that's going to be around? And with the internet and the advent of the internet, a lot of businesses, journalism, and others are going out of business. That's absolutely correct. And you know, our our grandparents used to be able to get trained in high school. But very few of them went on to college. They'd be able to then go into uh, the economy. Many of them would have a career at a company for 30 to 40 years, never have to change, be able to retire and have that safe pension. Nowadays, the economy is being uh, refashioned and reengineered at such a rapid rate. You're having rises of new jobs and new specialties that weren't around even five years ago, and you're having the death of old sector, old economy type of jobs. So it's very important for us not to have our head in the sands. But to be up, be alert, uh, be understanding what's going on, and try to be proactive and take proactive steps. If we see that our sector of the economy is changing, how can we remake ourselves or re-engineer ourselves to have success in the future? Mm. Do do you feel like, uh, Bob, that everybody could be an entrepreneur? Or is it because it seems like there's a lot of opportunities out there for the aggressive entrepreneur, the visionary that wants to go start a little something here or there. But others are just used to going to work, planting themselves in a chair, and riding the wave. Yeah, you know, I've had that question asked of me uh, quite frequently. And as I speak with college 
colleges and universities around the country, a lot of people want to know, are entrepreneurs made or are they born? Hmm. And there are, there's certain, there, there are certain characteristics of natural-born entrepreneurs, kind of like high-risk takers, and, and they don't mind um, uh, being in an environment where it's all on their shoulders. And there are some people who are less risk um, takers. They're a little more risk-adverse. They like walking into a nine-to-five job and that security and stability. But I do believe that everyone has the ability to grow those entrepreneurial muscles, uh, to be able to branch out and to be able to do things that bring extra income in for their families. And so uh, even those people who want to have that nine-to-five corporate job, who, who feel safe and secure there, I talk about I believe that, that those environments are some of the riskiest environments in the economy today. Hmm. Take a look at people who used to work for Enron. Yeah. At one point in time, it was the number one most respected company in America. And you can take a look at General Motors and WorldCom, all sorts of big corporate giants where people would feel like, oh, I'm safe in this nice environment. I'm going to be able to work for 30 years and retire. And they walk into the work one morning and the uh, Enron, it's gone. It's gone bankrupt. Or G- General Motors is shipping jobs overseas as you know they're going through bankruptcy in the past. So I believe the corporate environment may actually be one of the most risky environments as we move forward. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, with this the age of technology, yeah. I mean, I have friends that just they go find one little product to sell online and they build a website around it and they're making great money. And that is something you can do while at your job. I mean, not not while you're on the hour, on the paycheck of the job, but you can work on it at night. You can outsource some of the code to be written by someone else. A spouse could maybe watch it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways to, to make some money today, isn't there? It really is. And I'm glad that you're hitting on this. You know, the, the terms that we're seeing uh, in the news, they're, they're calling it the freelancer economy or the gig economy. Mm. And it's amazing how many people have a full-time job. Maybe they're 10 years into it and they're like, boy, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I still want to further my career here as long as possible, but I'm going to launch a side business. I'm going to do a little freelance work on the side or a little gig. You know, I know families here in Knoxville, Tennessee, who have started a tutoring business and they're making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year by tutoring local high school kids hmm. after class on the on the weeknights and on the weekend. I know people who have started lawn mowing businesses and lawn care businesses, startup uh, websites that are selling products and services. It's amazing the entrepreneurial spirit that is underfoot here within the United States. I think a lot of it is because. People realize how risky corporate America has become. They see the, the economy changing around them, and they want to make sure they're prepared to be able to provide for their families. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I guess the, there are probably some impediments for some in this, in this kind of market where if I'm not very tech-savvy, that seems like that may hold me back. Are there other paradigms that, um, that might keep me from – from maybe leaping and getting into this more quickly? That's a great question, and we've touched on one of them. And I I call that in the book mental anchors, people who have these mental conceptions of, well, I'm not really good, or I'm not an entrepreneur. I I can't take the risk. I'm, I'm too scared to go out there and try that. And so we need to break through those mental barriers. It's amazing how many people have negative self-talk. Hmm. They, they, they tell themselves, I call them lies, 
and we and we have to overcome those. And it, we, we need a mentor and a coach to help us overcome negative self-talk and to be able to look at the world through a positive lens, through a proactive lens of being able to go out there and accomplish things. But mental anchors really hold people back. You know, I, in the book, I also go into financial anchors. This is another one that I see hold a lot of young people back and even people mid, mid-career Uh, We have lived in a society where we have been driven by consumerism and acquiring debt and building the big houses and having the multiple cars. You know, it's uh, and acquiring all this debt has actually hindered a lot of people from being able to take leaps in their career. People who feel like they're being called to do something, maybe to call be called into ministry or mission work to help the poor. And they can't leave because like, oh, I've got this huge mortgage or I've got $30,000 in student loan debt. So I believe we need to put strategies in place now more than ever. This is extremely important. Reduce our debt load. We should not be leveraged up. Get out of debt as quickly as possible. But when you're out of debt, it gives us all sorts of opportunities to be able to make leaps, to be able to go and serve in places where maybe God's calling us to serve, to be able to help those in need. So getting rid of financial anchors is absolutely critical. And, you know, I also talk a little bit about physical anchors, and this is something that I've struggled with. When we're young in our career, we can be driven to work very hard. Sure. And sometimes we put our physical health uh, on the back burner. And I believe if, as I've interviewed a lot of senior citizens who are in the tail ends of retirement, what we're finding is that the number one cost that we are going to have in retirement is health care. And if we take a little bit of time and do a little due diligence and we work hard to protect our health, stay fit, uh, stay active when we're young, what it's going to allow us to do is to have a more um, productive and happy retirement. And it's also going to greatly reduce our retirement costs. So a smaller retirement portfolio will actually be able to uh, carry us forward. So I believe a lot of young people, myself included, I needed to look at this and make sure that I was taking care of my physical uh, body and and so forth. Uh, that so it's not an anchor in right. my old age. Yeah, so it doesn't drag you down. We're, we're speaking um, right now with Robert Dickey the uh, third, and he's the author of the book "The Leap: Launching Your Full Time Career in Our Part Time Economy." We'll take a break, come back, and get into some of his tools. So, what should we do to uh, to get ready to leap? What needs to be done? Uh, getting rid of some of the anchors. That's a great beginning. And then what else do we need to do to start making plans, specific plans for The Leap? Stick with us, folks. More on The Leap and Robert Dickey when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us on the phone is uh, uh, Robert Dickey III, the author of the book, The Leap, Launching Your Full-Time Career in Our Part-Time Economy. And uh, he's teaching us, you know, you got to you got to plan on being a little more entrepreneurial. And um, this isn't uh, the old lifestyle that uh, mom and dad may have had, working for one company forever. Up to even 10 to 14 careers is uh, it's what a lot of us are going to be experiencing in our lifetime. And he's here to just give us the tools, the information we need to make the leap 
Again, so honored to have you here. Bob Dickey, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me with you today. You bet. And the website, if you go to the website, robertldickey.com, wonderful information and just his blog, other uh, research and tools to help you along with this, um, as long as as well as free downloads and videos. So, Bob, what are some of the things we should be doing today? How, how do we go about making a plan and, and making this thing happen to take the leap to another career? Yeah, well, starting off with a plan is the very first thing that you want to do. And, you know, one of the things that the challenges that I have seen as I speak with college students around the country and people who are in their mid-career, a lot of times that are unsatisfied, they just really don't know what to do. They, they want to make a leap, but they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what we're finding is that people have chosen a career, a path, based on maybe what their parents wanted for them or based on what they thought would make them happy. Uh, they were chasing after monetary success and so picking career fields based on that. And I think we need to back up. And I'm a firm believer that God has created each one of us uniquely, given us a unique design, and that there's a special plan for each one of us, and we're, we have special gifts. And so taking a couple of minutes for pause and reflection and really asking the question, what, what am I passionate about? How was I uniquely designed? What is it that I was crafted to do? What is my purpose here on this planet for my lifetime? Mm. And there's a resource that I recommend uh, people check out. It's called Career Direct. It's very much like a Myers-Briggs personality assessment, but it goes much deeper into our values and our passion to unlock our purpose. And so many people that I've walked through this process, you know, they find themselves going in one career field and they realize, oh my goodness, I'm headed down the wrong path. Yeah. You know, I'm really designed for this. And when we find what we're here for, when we truly unlock why God has us here and what our mission is on this planet, that's when I believe people become lit on fire. That's when we're going to be able to go out there and make the biggest impact and where we're going to have fun, where we're going to have success, and we'll be able to help others. So start with a plan. First and foremost, understand who you are, why you're here, start there. Now, secondly, a lot of people, uh, this, this happens a lot of times for mid-career professionals where they might be wanting to launch a side business or be, branch out into some entrepreneurial work, but they may not have training in it. And they, and they may be letting fear hold them back and say, boy, I, I don't know what it means to start a business. I don't even know how to do it. There's free resources all over the web. And one place I'd like to point people, there's this new revolution taking place in the education space. They're called MOOCs, hmm. Massive Open Online Courses. And these are websites where you can go and you can take classes from BYU. You can take classes from the University of Michigan, Virginia, Harvard, Stanford. It's the top universities all around the country that are offering free courses for people who are mid-career. And you can learn how to uh, do the basics of accounting or Uh finance or the basics of entrepreneurship. So instead of launching out and doing something without that training, go out there, glean some knowledge, get a coach and get a mentor to help you along your way so you're not launching into this without any type of planning. I would recommend those two things first and foremost. And so MOOCs and then what was the other website, Career Direct? Career Direct. So if you go to careerdirect-ge, uh, if you if you go online, you'd be able to see those that assessment. But it is it really dives into uh, a person's values and passions and helping them understand how God created them and what their yeah. unique calling is in this world. I love that because then all of a sudden, you know, if you believe in God and you're driven by that and you have a passion about your beliefs, 
then everything you're doing in your day-to-day job is connected to your higher purpose in, in life and eternity. It really is. And when we, when we live our lives in alignment with how we've been created, that's where we have the greatest opportunity for success, I believe. Yeah. And then from that, I guess, so we go through those activities on uh, careerdirect-ge and go go look up the MOOCs and start learning training and figure out what you like and you can get educated in it. Then what? Just um, then what? Do we make a plan from there? What, how does it go? Well, two, two, two places I would recommend uh, searching out MOOCs, uh, edx.com and, I believe, and, and uh, Coursera. Those are two really popular MOOC websites, and they have classes from the best universities from all over the world, and, and most of them are free. Hmm. Uh, the other thing that I would recommend is for everyone to have a financial plan. There's a, it's amazing how many people don't have a financial plan and aren't able to track their monthly budget and their spending. And when we don't have that financial plan, that's when we can get into debt. One of the free resources that I absolutely love, I think it's the best software out there, is Mint.com. Yeah, yeah we talk about and that within, a lot. Yeah, within 30 minutes, you can put your entire financial portfolio everything in there, and you can start tracking it on your smartphone. So definitely have a financial plan. And I also go into uh, why I believe it's important to create a freedom fund. And I have a free download on, on my website that talks a little bit how to do this. But I believe that in this new economy, with people having to change work uh, so frequently, that it's important to have a freedom fund. And that's a reserve, a cash reserve of anywhere from six months to one year. Hmm. And once we have that built up and set aside, that gives us uh, security and the ability to make various leaps. And if we lose our job, if something happens in the economy, we have the ability to not only take care of ourselves and our family, but also to be able to help others in our community who might be in need. So a freedom fund, I believe, is very important. That's a great uh, way to put it, too. Freedom fund, because the freedom to you know, make moves, make changes, or the freedom to help and serve other people, it's powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing, a lot of times people, when I'm chatting with folks around the country, they're saying, well, Bob, I, I want to become an entrepreneur, but, you know, I, I go out to look at various franchises, and if I was to open up a McDonald's franchise, it's going to cost me maybe a million and a half dollars to get started, or some of these other franchises, they're, they're less expensive. But, you know, you can uh, there, there's a price tag sometimes of upwards of $100,000 or more, and I, and I remind them, I was like, look, you don't have to start a business that's capital intensive. You don't have to have $100,000 or $1.5 million to start a business. There's a way for you to be an entrepreneur, to be starting a side, you know, kind of freelance business. And there's all sorts of opportunities. I highlighted a few of them earlier, mm. but I, I also have some friends who uh, have started home-based businesses. They've gone out to the DSA to take a look at various opportunities that might be available to them. And so whether they're very passionate about, you know, uh, supplements and healthcare products, there's all sorts of opportunities where we can create side income for our families, where the investment up front might just be a few hundred dollars and not a million dollars. And I really encourage people to be looking at ways in which they can take their skills and their talents and leverage them outside of their yeah. nine to five job mm-hmm. to create a second stream of income for their family. Well, uh, we appreciate you. Um, I mean, that is that's so much great information. And again, the book is called The Leap. Um, the leap, uh, uh, the leap, launching your full time career in our part time economy. But go to his website, robertldickey.com, D I C K I E, robertldickey.com. There's blogs, there's all the information you need there, um, a- along with just tons of resources and tools 
to figure it out, folks. Don't give up. He's if you just listen to uh, Bob's experience, there's hope there, and there's a lot of information. And you don't just need to jump, you know, without a net. You can you can jump and leap in a healthy way. Great stuff. We're going to take a break. Come back. Go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, their view of what happened with BYU and Michigan. Also, uh, you know, see if they're going to take the leap after such a difficult uh, game. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. C is for Kooky, that's good enough for me. C is for Kooky, that's good enough for me. Oh, Kooky, Kooky, Kooky starts with C. Welcome back, everybody. We're slowly going through the entire alphabet, starting with C. This is the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, we are going to be tossing it down to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Kooky, Kooky, Kooky. Yes. Did you do you remember this song? Obvious. I don't I don't obviously. know that I remember this song specifically. Obviously, Cookie Monster and his association with cookies. Yeah. I'm all about. But I don't know that I've ever heard this song. Do you, do you wonder why I'm bringing huh? it up? Do you wonder why? Why? Is it because I'm eating my chocolate brownie Cliff Bar right now? Ooh, no, but that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it actually is pretty good. Doesn't look so good, but it is good. It, you know what? It sounds super yummy. By the way, and you've heard that there's now a, um, a bar out that's called a meat bar by Nestle. No. Yeah, it's a bar with with meat in it. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Hershey's, Hershey's meat bar. Anyway, look for it on the uh, on the on the shelves near you. Is so, it like bacon wrapped in chocolate or something? Kind of, and it has like fruit in it, I guess. But it's like it's meat. It's got it's it's meat. I mean, I guess or even beef jerky wrapped. It's like in beef jerky with flavors. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna want to take it. You're gonna want to have it for the kids. Why do we always have to try and combine everything? And consolidate. Why can't we just have right. beef jerky by itself and a chocolate candy bar by itself? You know what? Here's, here's what I think. Why yeah. not? Because you don't have to consume it, but well, there are those that want to. How many people, though? Who wants to? That's, that's for them to enjoy. Like, all these movies are made every year. I only consume so many of them. See, this but is, I don't mind this is that the those next, movies are made. This is like, the next Crystal someone, Pepsi to me. <laughs> it is. It, it is. It to be the next Cherry Pepsi, where it's like, oh, I, I like it. Well, or it's, it's, it's just meat. Pepsi. It's no. It's more like meat Pepsi, Ugh, where like, you just put like, meat fat in your PepsiCo. I don't want to stunt the create. I don't want to stunt creativity here. If people want that, if they don't want it, it won't sell, and then it's over, right? And I don't like think the, it's going to sell. Like the market, yeah, you know, governs itself that way. Let me, let me, um, yeah. I don't. I will send you a box of them though. I will. How will. do you get all this free you stuff will? that you never send to us? Um. <laughs> I I have my people just buy it. <laughs> I don't get it free, but okay. I never I never reimburse my employees. Matt, so <laughs> it is free. The Matt Townsend Institute will provide. <laughs> That's exactly right. We will totally take care of you. The reason I was playing the Cookie Monster song. Cookie, 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 cookies. <laughs> see, I you got. We're gonna now use those. Quick, thank story. you. Yeah. So my wife like went upstairs for a second, a few minutes. I mean, several seconds. Came back downstairs. She had left the Oreos on the table. Mm-hmm. My kid had consumed the cream of like 15 Oreos <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> she came back down and she said, when it's 
when it's way too quiet down here and she took a picture of all these Oreo cookies. You, know, you, you weren't home though, right? Them. You weren't no. home. Okay. No. It wasn't me. It was my. I don't know that a child could room. consume that much, but apparently he can. Well, my kid. Cookies. He's, he's, he's like his father. Um, so a, a man has been arrested in an armed robbery attempt, but he was wearing a Cookie Monster pajama. His Cookie Monster pajamas while yeah, he maybe. was while he was performing the robbery. There we go. So for our Twitter question, you guys always talk about your twi- Twitter question. What's your Twitter question? Our Twitter question is: What um, cartoon character would be on your pajamas if you were going to ro- uh, perform an armed robbery? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm, little specifically, mutant. well, probably all of them, but. Sp- Specifically, as Leonardo. Ooh. An armed robbery? Mm-hmm. I don't always do armed robbery, but when I do, <laughs> I wear my Leonardo. Leonardo, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That's great. That's it's a like great really outfit. Out That's something. and it goes really well with a gun. Because your mask. Don't worry about the weaponry. Typically, that's bow and arrow for me. Oh, that's Whatever. right. Sorry about that. It's hard to do an armed robbery. I'd probably with a bow wear a Captain America costume. Mmm. Captain America. By the way, uh, also, uh-huh. I also want to know, would, would your pajamas be footsie or would you want oh. them to be two-piece so you could still put your gun in your waistband? Two-piece for me. Um, <laughs> always a one-piece bathing suit. Right? I, I like the one-piece because you get traction in your footies. On my two-year LDS mission trip to Brazil, in one of the areas with my uh, you know friend that was with me, companion. Yeah. He he and I met a family that had twins, and their twins had these matching, you know, like onesies, pajamas. Yeah. Like, you know, head to toe. Yeah. We're like, wouldn't that be funny if we did that? She's like, I know the place to go. So we went and picked out, uh, you know, designs. Oh, wow. And we each we each got matching, uh, yeah. like, head to toe pajamas. Is is that when you... <laughs> They're way too hot for Brazil. Is that is that when you got called into the mission home? The mission president. Yeah, I was then named assistant to the pres- to the regional manager president uh-huh. of the Lakers. Wow, fantastic! No, it was fun to have that. That is. I cool. recommend all adults do it. Do this. Yeah, I mean for sure. Who doesn't? I mean, it Especially might be fun now just with your wife. Just I like I like dressing my whole family like the same way. Yeah, and then that's, we just that's not cultish at all. No, no, no. And then then you just go to dinner. <laughs> yeah. Then you go. Then you go down to the. Uh, Go down to the uh, Sizzler. <laughs> have a good steak. And have yourself a steak with everyone looking together. And then everyone's like, did you guys just have pictures taken? And you're like, oh, no. Where are you from? We do this every Monday night. Hey, what, um, what part of Southwest Colorado? <laughs> what do you guys think of uh, uh, Steph Curry's out for two weeks? Chris Paul broke his hand. Oh, the playoffs just got interesting. Yes. Because they were boring. I think the Warriors are going to be just fine. Yeah, I, now I want to watch the Warriors. Yeah, now they I do not want to watch. Now I want to watch. Right. You Warriors, don't want to seem like I'm, a groupie. Com- it, it stinks for them, but it's compelling. They'll yeah. be back in time for the meaningful series. Come on. Chris Paul's done. Do you think the Clippers are done? Well, go Blazers is what I say to that. That's what you say to that. Uh, it's a bummer when people get hurt. It really is. Yeah. Have you guys ever been hurt doing your show? One time Spencer lost his voice entirely, and then I went on vacation. Ooh, yeah, wow. Yeah, Jerem conveniently still decided to go on vacation. And you had to carry through. <laughs> wow. You remember that? I, when I, was, oh, I do remember that. Yeah. It sounded like Jeff Jenkins. Yeah, that was, a weird, that was a weird time for all of us. They let me with Just listening to you. Colton hey. Shaver. <laughs> I, lost, I lost my voice during a, a broadcast one time, a basketball game. Really? Because oh, like, you guys yell, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. You got to you got to pace yourself. 
I know. Well, it depends on the sport. You probably don't listen to my show at 7 in the morning, but at 7 in the morning, I'm whispering. And then I slowly Steve, elevate my yeah, volume yeah. as I go through the shows. That's fair. Until right now, I start yelling. Because you only have five minutes left to show. Yep. Rip it. Hey, um, what's going What's going to be on your show today, boys? Oh, huge show today. What? Huge Wh- show today. Huge. 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 Guest lineup's nice. Mitch Matthews, BYU receiver, uh, hopes to be drafted this weekend. We'll talk to him. Cool. Uh, what does he think of the draft? What, what are people saying about him? Blaine Fowler will join us. Tell us where uh, Bronson Fusi will be picked. And the incredible recovery of a pole vaulter on BYU's team who took pole into his eye <gasps> at a meet earlier this year and had serious, serious injuries. He is doing amazing now. What? He thinks that he's close to competing again. This was six or seven weeks ago. We're talking life-threatening yeah, type this, injuries. Like, they opened his head up. Oh, my yeah. heavens. So he's going to join yeah. us. He's doing great. He, I think he gra- just graduated with 395. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, he did so, that. So too. his brain's superior to many of our brains. <laughs> yeah, and obviously. Luckily, luckily, everything's cool there. That so, is crazy cool. Not to mention the in the spirit of Corbin Kafusu, who is oh, now going baby. to play football and basketball. You you get you get to pick the BYU athlete you want to play a, a second sport at BYU and what sport it is. Dual sport fantasy draft on BYU oh, sports. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So okay. it's a big one. The so, other ones have not been big. This one this is, is big. This is huge. 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 Of course. It always is, guys. It always is with you two. You're incredible. <laughs> and now I just imagine you in your pajamas performing an armed robbery. <laughs> That's what I bring to your show. Thanks. an armed robbery. That's part of the story. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a great show today. Knock okay. them dead. We'll Stay try not to mess it up. And Stay have safe. fun with your meat, your meat uh, bar. Well, when you give it to us, yeah. We'll send it down with we'll one of my that people. Again when it fails on the market. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Thanks, guys. Bye. Be good. Knock them dead. Cookies. <laughs> they... Are uh, Spencer and Jerem, folks. They're the hosts of the show, BYU Sports Nation, at the top of the hour, noon to 1 Eastern time. You're going to want to just stay tuned. And, uh, again, they'll be going through all of those great uh, guests. And, uh, holy cow, took a pole vaulting pole to the eye. Unbelievable. That uh, They'll have that story in just about five minutes, folks. So stick with us. Hey, as you know, uh, we always like to just, you know, wrap up the show with a couple of just stories. We already talked about the gun-toting suspect wearing, uh, you know, cookie monster pajamas. But what about the New York State nuclear power plant that shut down after inspectors discovered some missing bolts from the reactor? Jimmy, did you put all of the bolts in the reactor? Yes, I did. The Indian Point nuclear power plant will stay shut down after inspectors discovered that more than 200 stainless steel bolts were faulty or missing. What? 200 are faulty or missing from a reactor. Now, remember, Larry, don't over-tighten the bolts. I won't. That is crazy. 200 bolts. Uh, Operators had already shut down the plant for a planned outage. They said the bolt setback will keep the site offline for several more weeks. Governor Cuomo said the issue was the latest in a series of incidents that raises concerns about the plant's management. Wow. So if anybody happens to find a tin, uh, you know, full of bolts. With with a note that says, to screw in later. Yeah. And, and they're glowing, let's say, because they've been near a reactor. <laughs> then, uh, yeah. That's like a Homer Simpson episode right there. That is the making of a Homer Simpson 
episode. As you know, we do like to end the show talking about a hero. And our hero story today is 28-year-old Amber Boyd from Albuquerque, New Mexico. She is a nurse that adopts a baby girl with birth defects that she had been helping in the hospital. Listen to this story. Baby Nicole was born with an uh, omphalocell, which is a birth defect where the gastric organs are outside of the body. Nicole was very sick for the first year of her life. But it started showing progress. Unfortunately, she still needed more care than anyone could uh, could have given her at home. Nicole's biological parents had their rights taken away, and her twin sister had already gone home with another family. Nicole essentially needed intensive care at home, and the hospital was looking into medical foster care. Amber Boyd, a pediatric nurse from Albuquerque, realized that she could give Nicole the needed care from her home because of her expertise, and she decided to adopt Nicole. Boyd's husband immediately agreed, and baby Nicole went home with the family And um, after a year and a half in the hospital. The Boyd's say that Nicole, now three years old, has been living with them for more than 20 months, and she's doing very, very well. Boyd's colleague in the hospital, Camille Walker, says she remembers when Nicole was transferred to the pediatric unit. I remember the day she came down from NICU, and uh, she was one of the hardest patients we've ever taken care of. She was with us for so long. Referring to the Boyds, Walker said, everything this little girl needed, they had. It was like she won the lottery with the parents that she got. Amber Boyd, a 28-year-old nurse from Albuquerque, New Mexico. You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. That is the good in the world. And remember, our goal on the show is to show you the good stuff that's out there. There's people like Amber Boyd. There's people like you that are just doing what they can to make a difference uh, where they can make it. Remember, you don't have to be everything. You don't have to do everything. Just be you, but be the best you you can be. That is what we try to bring you by bringing you the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More tools, more solutions, more ideas. If you haven't missed the show or you want to go back and find any of our older episodes, go to iTunes to tune in. Go to BYU Radio uh, and, and just .org or look up the app. Great stuff for you, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care of each other. Until tomorrow, make it a great day.